2: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: What is up, Gypsy Gang? Before we get into this episode of the podcast, have to give a massive shout out to our awesome sponsors that keep the power on in Gypsy Gang Studios. Firstly, I need to give a big shout out. our friends at Nobby for keeping keeping the kids in their seat, keeping the uh, twig and berries in the fruit basket. These guys have been a sponsor now for a little bit, and I'm really starting to, I guess, see the value in wearing super high quality underwear all the time. And when I started deal with these guys it was really just because I liked the brand and the vibe and I think they stand for the same things that that we do here but over time I've really begun to appreciate the product and the quality and I just never really thought I was going to care that much about my underwear as I do now Um, I've just hit the tipping point of not having any other underwear um, I went and ordered some extras the other day so that now I don't actually have to wear anything other than knobby um, I've said it before in the in the ads but my preferred one is the long leg um, it ju- I just feel like that keeps me covered in like all situations um, whether it's training for jiu-jitsu surfing mountain biking or racing uh, I don't really race anymore I can't really claim that just say riding, when I'm riding motocross, um, that cut for me just keeps everything pretty well where it needs to be, it is super, super easy to join the Nobby Nation, it's just 20 bucks a month for a fresh pair of duds delivered to your door, Uh, it's super easy to cancel that subscription if you would be crazy enough to do such a thing, Uh, head to nobby.com.au and give them a follow on the gram at Nobby Underwear. Like I said, I'm, I'm fully in now. I liked the brand before, um, but I've really fallen in love with the product itself. Next, have to give a shout out to our homies at Boost Mobile we've had a lot of great feedback from people who listen to the podcast, um, that have made the switch. And, uh, we had the call out going for a while. Um, just asking kind of if you've switched and we'd heard of it and we got a ton of responses. I'm, I'm really grateful for the people that did respond to us. Uh, and it seems like the feedback that we've gotten anyway is super positive for the people that did make the switch. Um, gets you 20 gig of data, super easy, you can get a SIM card at Servos, or you can head to boost.com.au and make the switch. I have not regretted making the switch at all, I'm never looking at um, how much data I've got left, because I've got more than I need, Um, and I'm a super data hungry mofo, so this has been a great fit for me, um, and it's been a great fit for listeners of the podcast as well, which stokes me out. My guest on the podcast today is a gentleman by the name of Craig Jones. Uh, Craig has a pretty phenomenal story. Uh, just a couple of years ago, he was a complete no-name in the world of jiu-jitsu. Uh, he heads off to ADCC, chokes a guy by the name of Leandro Lowe, who is one of the sport's all-time greats, and all of a sudden, the world of grappling is completely infatuated with this. Uh, this lanky dude from Australia that looks like he's not trying and, uh, he's a, he's a really interesting case study, even if you're not into jujitsu as such. Um, if you are any kind of, uh, competitor or you, you do any kind of sport, uh, Craig's a very interesting guy to listen to. He's got some really cool philosophies, um, on what you should do before competition, um, the kind of routines that you should be in and, and the way that you should think um so for me this was a this was definitely a selfish podcast I, I I guess I try to play some of the similar stuff that Craig does um when I compete myself and I was very interested in his mindset and the way uh, that he approaches competition, so it was definitely a selfish podcast for me. Um, but I mean, yeah, I was very, very, very interested to sit down and talk to a guy that competes on such a high level, um, so consistently, and to sort of look like he doesn't really try while he's doing it is, uh, yeah, it's this crazy thing that that sort of blows my mind uh, when I when I do watch him compete. Uh, it was a really cool podcast. It was a great opportunity to, to sit down. With a guy that I I really look up to. Uh, We shot this episode of the podcast at Absolute MMA in Collingwood. Um, And I also want to give a quick shout out to the guys at MA1 uh, for helping this podcast come together. I just need to give a quick shout out to the guys at MA1. Uh, MA1 is the brand of apparel that Craig Jones uh, competes in, it's also the gear that uh, Lachlan Giles uses, um, as well as many, many more. But they don't just make uh, fighting apparel uh, and clothing. Um, They do everything from uh, mats. They do full gym fit outs. They do strength and conditioning equipment. Um, It's it's honestly insane how much stuff these guys do and the quality in which they do it at. Um, I'm a huge fan of this brand I'm a huge fan of the guys behind the brand and uh, what they kind of stand for Um, so if you want to find out more about MA1 and exactly what they have to offer head to ma1.com.au and that's the other thing they're an Aussie brand Um, super super good group of people all right so without me talking anymore I would like to welcome Craig Jones to the podcast Craig Jones, the animal himself. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, dude. Uh, thanks for having me, man. Um, so this isn't a, well, I guess this, as in Gypsy Tales, isn't exactly like a grappling jujitsu podcast. So we kind of have a lot of different, more like action, sporty sort of people come on it, like Pastrana and Kerry Hart and stuff. So it's like people love to get into like their mindset because of the extreme sort of shit that those guys do. But one of the things I'm sort of trying to... I guess, like, not preach. Maybe that's the wrong word. But I don't think people get how hard jiu-jitsu is. Like, the level that you do it. And I think that a lot of the stuff that people maybe take away from, like, the Gypsy Tales podcast is, uh, like, the mindset that those guys have. And I think that of all the sports that I'm involved with and film and follow, watching you compete and, like, the body language and the way that you are before matches, you're one of the more interesting people I've ever seen compete. So I, I just wondered where, like, <laughs> that mindset comes from. We sort of half-talked about it getting coffee, but... Is that because I look, like,
0: relaxed or something?
1: Yeah, you're just so fucking cruisy, dude. And it's almost to, like... I just wonder where whether that's strategic. Is that, like, you're a pretty laid-back dude, your personality-wise. But it's, like the way that you compete like there's no hype up there's no fucking thrash metal going on in the background there's no and like you walk out and you're like hey dude like it's a it's a super I think it's very unique to you in not just jujitsu but in fucking sport man like you I really don't see a lot of people that carry themselves the way that you do right before go time
0: I just try and uh, get myself in the mind frame that I am before training
1: yeah okay really
0: try and keep everything as similar as possible like a lot of people have the same amount of coffee or the, like the, maybe they have Red Bull before they train so they try and match up a competition. I just try and keep the same mindset. That helps me forget about sort of the situation at hand. Mm. But I guess I am nervous on the inside but i um, trying my best to have fun, turn it into fun.
1: Yeah, so is it like, I guess that's what kind of has me wondering is like, is it a conscious decision that you're making to where like, yeah, you are nervous but then you're going to, like this is like this practice that you have got for yourself where like your pre-game game routine is to look like you don't give a fuck. Yeah, yeah, that's that's basically it. I mean, I am nervous,
0: but I, I wouldn't, I don't let it bother me too much because I never expected to make it this far. Mm. So I'm just trying to enjoy, appreciate every moment as it comes. I guess the Palhares build up to
1: the Palhares match I was probably the most nervous for. Is that because that was like the most hyped fight? Because I guess like Quintet was pretty big for you. Um, but you had four other dudes on the team, right? To kind of take yeah, a bit of the heat off. That
0: one's fun. That's like uh, that's way more relaxed because I guess a lot more guys are willing to l- take risks and let themselves get submitted, especially if they've already gone out and won a match. Mm. So you know, to be happier to take risks. Whereas if it's just a pure one-on-one match, or maybe it's uh, a different style of tournament, not a team tournament, then you really feel the pressure not to lose. Yeah, it's just you out there. But that team environment makes it a lot more fun. So it's I enjoy that a lot more than i enjoy regular competition
1: yeah yeah now that makes sense and i think too like the the thing with um jiu-jitsu as well is especially like so tomorrow i'm doing the pan packs and i got 10 dudes in the division and if i don't win the first match i just fucking go home and like that's pretty unique like there's not a lot of sports where that i mean that i've participated in anyway where it's like you you're out in five minutes or you could have five fights and win a gold medal or six fights so it's like when because you did a lot of J F stuff right like that's sort of what you first did when you first started competing
0: yeah back in the day so I know all about that uh, that horrible build up where you could lose in one minute and that's what you've done for the entire weekend yeah it's it's the most brutal shit ever yeah so
1: that's where I'm at <laughs> for this this weekend but is that like did that help then your mindset like uh, because I mean I've only done a few comps and I'm I'm actively trying to figure out what I should be doing like I was saying when we were walking before that the last comp I did I was so fucking focused and I because I wasn't used to like expecting to win there's a and man I'd see it all the time like and I wonder if you have now you I'd say you'd be at the level where you expect to win every match right yeah yeah I definitely expect to win every match in
0: terms of the Jeff events I always think of that Ricky Bobby quote if you aim first you're last it's so, so true so it doesn't matter a silver medal doesn't mean much. Mm. If so it doesn't matter if you show up and lose in the first round or you lose in the final, either way you got to look at it like a loss. Mm. So when you adopt that mindset it makes it a lot easier dealing with that first match pressure. You know what I mean? You showed up to win. So if you lose in the first match or you lose in the final, yeah. it's like either way yeah. you've achieved a similar result. I guess on social media people hustle silver medals and stuff, but on the inside they're not really happy with a silver medal.
1: Man, I said to my coach the other day, so I lost in the final and got a silver medal and uh, I put it on my fucking dash in my car and I was like I'm just gonna look at this bitch <laughs> on the way to training because that to me was like the biggest like most loser medal ever but I think like there's definitely a point though and I wonder if you reach this in your career because especially in motocross like I'd work with dudes like do you ever have you ever followed like supercross or motocross or any of that kind of stuff
0: I haven't I think I played the video games some video games when there I was you growing
1: go. up so you're pretty much an expert <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but like there, there's dudes right and like I was, I was saying like you know if i'd race i'd be like i know i'm gonna get like 10th and that's like the ceiling and there's guys where the talent and the fitness and the speed and the bike like the whole recipe is like they're just better and i had a ceiling and i knew where it was and i didn't go to a race expecting to win or even hoping to win i just went there with like no pressure it was unattainable and then you switch into um jiu and i i have had a couple wins and then now you legitimately just expect to win and then I went to the the last comp I did with that mindset and it like fucking buckled me eh? because all I all I got cared about was winning I didn't even it was funny like I wasn't even concentrating on like technique and shit or thinking about like a game I wanted to play or anything it was like literally winning was the only thing so it's like it's it's hard to like manage that expectation on yourself and it's sort of yeah it, it, i think it's hard because you're right you, if you're not if you know if you're not first you're last and and jiu-jitsu is like a weird game like that and a lot of the times too well, i guess nowadays you know the dudes that you're fighting essentially so i guess it, you can probably do a little bit more prep but back in the day when you were competing like you just sort of show up and you don't know who you got
0: yeah back in those days i used to if i looked too much into my opponent i would be too defensive mm. i'd worry too much about what they were going to do and i might shell up and not do anything so, if we're dealing with that style of tournament, I'd rather not know what they're good at. Mm. Like, there's a guy, Harry Gretsch, here, who just does Kamuras, basically finishes most of his matches with Kamuras. Excellent Kamuras. A guy like that, I'd want someone to tell me, hey, yeah, he's yeah. amazing at this one move, but don't be too cautious Defensive about it. it. Yeah, but if I approached every opponent's uh, skill set with the same mind frame that I'd approach a specialist like that, I would get nothing done in the match. Mm. So, you've got to be careful not to know too much
1: yeah yeah um with the the pal Harris match were you like actually legitimately nervous because like it it became a fucking meme bro yeah like, that was like one of the first since i've been really following the sport like the first like jiu-jitsu meme that really went around like everybody was posting a pal Harris pick and you were like reposting all of these memes i suppose kit dale's the first meme in jiu-jitsu really right yeah but i would say so after yeah. kit dale But people had a fucking field day with the whole Palhara thing because he showed up on the gram with that photo looking like a fucking gorilla. And then you're just like, uh, the fuck? And there was like the whole weight thing. But so did that one actually legitimately make you nervous? Like you were worried about it? Um,
0: I was always nervous about Palhara since back in 2011, like when he just ripped everyone's legs apart. He, so don't,
1: he don't give a fuck, huh?
0: Exactly. So leading up, like the first time I qualified for ADCC, everyone was like, oh, congratulations, congratulations. And I was like, oh, fuck, I hope Harris isn't in this. Like, <laughs> I come out and break my leg. And I had the same thought process even for the last ADCC. But after hanging with some of the top-level guys, I really was like, um, if they do offer me a Harris match, I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I don't yeah. accept it. So I was nervous. But at the end of the day, I mean, We'll get it, like I might take a very bad injury if he holds on the submission yeah. obviously he got kicked out of the UFC because he doesn't let like, go of submissions but is like is that what happened yeah he got banned man, from the UFC I
1: never knew that <laughs> what a fucking crazy dude
0: so yeah I believe he's injured a lot of people he would hold on the submission 3-4 seconds after what do you think that is
1: like is that
0: like, I don't know I sympathize with him right because in my mind if you're like paharis, you're not a striker we're going into MMA which is predominantly a striking sport rewards yeah. the striker He goes out there, he takes some hits to get him down. He maybe takes some hits on the ground. He finally gets a grip on a submission. And the guy's like, no, 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 that's it. It's over. But he can fuck you up. Yeah, Powers is like, well, I've just been punched in the head 10 times to get your leg. I want to do some damage back. So I don't know if that's his thought process. He's getting hit. And, you know, I mean, you see in jujitsu, like, two guys are rolling. One guy's maybe going too hard, too hard. Maybe he's kicking you in the head, elbowing you in the head. You get mad. You see these guys get mad. And then when they grab something, they rip it. So if you took the thought process, that thought process to MMA, you mm. took those sort of guys to MMA, it's probably going to be the extreme end of that. Mm. I guess in the heat of the fight, it's very hard. Once a guys inflicted a lot of damage on you, for you to just be like, "All right, now I'll let you go. I'll go home
1: with a headache. Can you go home? Yeah, just got three. <laughs> yeah. Just get the tap. Yeah, no, I've never thought of it like that. It's it's interesting. Like you come across as a dude that's so um, casual and cruisy in the way that you like interact with people you're very laid back you're always kind of smiling but uh i get the impression from like listening to stuff that you've done that you actually really think about not just like the technical aspect of jujitsu, but more so like the yeah that mental stuff like i haven't really thought of you know pal harris in that kind of way like are you a dude that is like a deep thinker when it comes to this sort of stuff I, I guess so I just try and work out what maybe is going on there you know what mm-hmm. I mean what
0: like you know, why would he be holding onto these submissions and I guess it's easy to just be like oh he's a crazy guy you know what that I mean that is the easy knee jerk yeah. thing right yeah but I guess trying to understand if, but I mean I met him and he doesn't speak very good English obviously so I couldn't ask him I was like what are you like yeah, why yeah. are you holding on to that shit <laughs>
1: <laughs> <That's> <laughs> please don't do it to me <laughs> <laughs> that's uh but I guess like dude there, there is the issue in Jiu Jitsu where like you've got to finish because I mean the technique is good but when you're up against like a really strong guy like you need to be muscling that shit and like you know say you're a smaller dude that's trying to come or a big dude or like you're trying to go for a heel hook on Paul Harris those legs are, that's big legs like you really you you do have to put like a a big effort in to finish on a world class guy that is also you know potentially bigger and stronger so it's like I mean yeah there's even mm-hmm. been times where i have training where I've like thought I'm a bit of a dick for doing that but it's like shit like do you want you, you want to finish like you want to take the technique all the way to the end and sometimes that does require a bit of extra effort you know
0: oh for sure if it's a competition I'm going to rip everything as hard as I can until I feel anything any sort of tap or verbal tap mm. and if you have any other thought process they're going to slip out of submissions because you got guys like the Meow Brothers AJ Agassam if you take them to the point where you think they're going to tap and that might be the point where you feel bones breaking that ain't enough for those guys you know mm. what I mean so if you hesitate they're gonna slip straight out of the submission
1: there, and there's guys too like even in even in our gym man like I've seen some elbows go backwards off arm bars and you just let go of them because you're like you know what fuck all that like but some dudes that's they don't care they'll go out on their shield too so it's like yeah. it's definitely I wouldn't say it's like violent but it, there's definitely like a level of commitment that both people have to have to the match right Oh, f- yeah, for sure. I think uh, at this level, the level I compete at,
0: if there's a joint lock submission going on, we're both accepting something's going to pop. Mm. It's just not going to be hopefully as much damage as uh, as the average person probably thinks Yeah, it's going to happen. I see so many guys in jiu-jitsu get severe injuries and come back immediately, come back like nothing happened. Because the beauty of jiu-jitsu is like, we're not sprinters. Like yeah. we can't, You tear an ACL... And you're trying to sprint or zigzag. That's not good. that's an impossible like impossible, yeah. right? But jujitsu, you could take a severe injury and find a different way to
1: play the game. Yeah, and you can like you can work around stuff for sure. Like, for sure. there's a guy at our gym, Steve, and he's like an older dude, and uh, he's actually a fucking savage too. But he's had no ACL for ages, and he's like in his, I want to say he's like mid to late forties. And we it's don't. like, you wouldn't. That, yeah, you're right. Like, There's not a lot of sports where you can just get back to that, right?
0: I don't think there's... Not that I can think of another sport in the world where I've seen so many people with terrible injuries that are still effective mm. at a high level. You know what I mean? Some of these guys don't even go to the doctor. They don't even get a scan. It could be a horrible injury, but they just have faith that uh, it'll come back eventually. Their body will just adapt. Mm. So, it's yeah, it's crazy. I think...
1: <laughs> um, I'm just going to actually change this a good example of that was Gordon in your uh, EBI fight where like that was about as tight as you could get an Armbar like did you think that you could have done that any better it was uh, it wasn't as tight as you think you know what I mean it looked tight it was uh, I think it did a little bit of damage
0: it um, damaged his arm but I don't think it injured him Mm -hmm. if you look at uh, Tommy Langlacher versus Dante Leon that's an example of a guy getting his elbow snapped in half and he just keeps going or, like, obviously, the classic examples, is Jacare and Hodger. Like, did I, I didn't do anywhere near as much damage as Hodger did to Jacare. Where Jacare's arm broke backwards the wrong way and he tucked it in his belt and fought the rest of the match. So, it's like I probably talked his elbow quite a bit. Just not enough to um, mm. break it, I
1: guess. Yeah, because that was crazy. Like, that was a cool thing to watch, like, as a jiu-jitsu fan, too. Because, I mean, there is, like... It's funny, like, if you reduce jiu-jitsu down to like what it is it's just two dudes rolling around on the ground if you reduce it down to make it sound as stupid as you can and it's like if you you could do that to anything like with golf or you got a stick and a ball and you walk around for four hours it's like you can make everything sound pretty pretty stupid yeah for sure but but i think that fight with gordon was such a rad uh showcase of jiu-jitsu and like the real uh the grit and determination and i think the thing that like really sucked me in with it is that you get to fight every day and i mean you might it might be different for you because of the level that you're at you're 100 percent could roll through people instantly so i mean it's like would you is it hard for you to go 100 every every day like just at a regular sort of day at, at this gym or, or st kilda I can
0: uh, go 100% but limit the scope of what I'm trying to do. Mm, okay. So the scope not, might not be to win. It might be to take as many backs as possible yep. or hit an entry as many times as possible or just work guard passing. So you can limit the scope and still go really, really hard.
1: Yeah, okay. That makes sense. But I think like, for a guy like me in my position, like I'm going to walk into my gym and there's going to be like blue belts and purple belts and brown belts that will literally make my life fucking shit for six minutes and it's a hundred percent and they're going hard and i'm going hard but like if you look at a sport like boxing you can't fight every day like these dudes aren't getting in the ring with the crowd or i mean not that we have the crowd around but that the whole show isn't on display you know they're doing some pad work and they're doing this and that but it's like floyd mayweather every day that he trained in his career didn't do 12 rounds with a guy that's as good as him so i think that's like one of the um that's, I guess, what I like preach to people about maybe why people get so addicted to jiu-jitsu is because you actually get a chance to do your thing at 100% every time that you practice.
0: Yeah, it's why so many guys do the sport and don't compete. Mm. It's because you still get basically 90% of a real match without having to uh, showcase it at an event. You know what I mean? Mm. So you can go really hard and have a pretty good idea of where your skills are. You're not going to know how you handle the psychological yeah yeah. and adversity and stuff in that sense but yeah you have a pretty
1: good idea of what your skill level is everyone always says that um comps are like a really good way to kind of like elevate your game um do you think that competing is something that you should do like if you do want to take jiu-jitsu serious because you're right like you can be a weapon in the gym and if you did go to a comp your skill for skill you'd be able to hang but there is like a different sort of element to it right but do you think that by competing it does accelerate your your learning yeah because i think
0: uh anything that scares you is going to make you work harder you know what i mean Mm. if there's a goal you're scared of that you know you have to face you're not going to half-ass it you know what i mean like so if you never competed like how hard are you going to train to train Mm. but if you know there's a comp in three months and you know you're at the risk of looking like an idiot to everyone in the audience or to your friends and family that might say, even though no one really cares how you do, yeah. no one cares as much as you do, if you're really what, concerned about how you're going to look, you're going to train hard. Yeah. And it's like if, you take, if you're building to the ranks, it's why I would take a match like Nahara's. If I took a, a less scary opponent or an opponent I knew I could win, I might not uh, beat easily. I might not train as hard. Mm-hmm. So anything that scares you, I guess, in this is going to make you push harder and harder.
1: It's funny that you said that no one really cares when you lose, because mm. I think about that a lot when you like you're in that bullpen and you're kind of warming up and you can't really talk to anyone or, or whatever. It's just like that alone time. You feel like everyone's looking at you, but like in reality, they don't, they don't give a fuck. Like there yeah. might be six or seven people from your team that care, and if you lose, they're still gonna be like, "Oh, dude, you tried pretty hard. Like that's fine." But inside, like when you're on that in that little bullpen like you really think that the, everyone is watching you and if you lose you suck to to all those people but in reality it's really not like that
0: oh for sure and you even think that your teammates are going to feel you suck if you do poorly but quite often you compete you could lose or win and you go to training the next day and nobody even knows how you went yeah true eh? so it's like no one everyone's got too much of their own
1: shit going on yeah exactly and it's all just like that what you're building up in your own head like what you're kind of placing importance on exactly that yeah. isn't
0: actually there yeah it's not it's not important unless you're a black belt it's the amateurs so it's like uh mm. it's all trial and error up until that point
1: when did you um get into jiu-jitsu and why did you start like what drew you to it were you one of the guys that like saw the ufc and was like fuck yeah that's that's me and and kind of walked into a jiu-jitsu gym from there yeah basically i saw the ufc and wanted to just see what they were
0: doing because i grew up always watching martial arts movies and stuff i did a tiny bit of judo as a kid I did taekwondo as a kid. So I always had a loose interest in it. I think at the time I was playing guitar and my mom, when I wanted to start jiu-jitsu, gave me a choice between continuing guitar lessons or trying jiu-jitsu. So I was like, for sure, I want to try jiu-jitsu. Mm. So I gave that a shot. My cousin was running a gym. But like when I started, I don't know, I can't remember if it was a white belt or a blue belt, but yeah, there wasn't much going on in my home city. Mm. So Because you're from Adelaide, right? Adelaide, yeah. yeah. So back, this would have been over 12 years ago now. I think I was 15 when I first started, about to turn 16. And the gym was very far from where I lived. Obviously I couldn't drive. Our buses, if anyone's been to Adelaide, public transport sucks. Yeah. So I really had no way to get down there. So any chance I could get down there, I would go down there. But yeah, for maybe, maybe until I was 21, I barely trained at all. I would say two, three sessions a week tops, split between MMA classes, which was just basically me and my friends trying to knock each other out. <laughs> but we had the proper gear <laughs> Yeah. versus, um, I would do some tournaments, but uh, there weren't too many tournaments going on. I think one a year in my city. Nationally, we had Pampax and cup. Other than that, you could choose to do the other state titles. But I mean... uh, Yeah, I'm
1: sure Adelaide didn't didn't have a lot going on back then, especially. No. Yeah, nothing at all. So, from all like... Obviously, I did the camp with Lockie, and I've got to be quite good friends with him um, out of that experience and the podcast and everything like that. And he talks about you in, like, this... It's, it's funny, I call him Locky One Kenobi. Locky One Kenobi. So, you... Because to me, he's, like, this Jedi master. Like, he, <laughs> he's so stoic. He doesn't really give much away. There's, like... Uh, there's no ego at all with him. Like, it's it's completely not even there. It's not like he's got his ego under control. It's like it doesn't exist. And that's, like, a, a full Obi-Wan Kenobi kind of thing, too, you know? And the way that he talks about you is, like, that... Uh, young apprentice kind of and not to say that everything that you've got is from Lockheed or anything like that but you're like this freak talent dude that walks into his gym and the way he talks about you is like craig can learn anything like he can see it and then do it or you can tell him and then he can do it and uh that was it bianca that got what's the girl's name that got um promoted last night oh uh brooke brooke sorry um they sort of say that she's a little bit like that as well obviously she like you said gets a lot of training and stuff but said that she's got that sort of ability but it's like if you are a guy that has the natural talent that you have as i guess because it's not all physical in jiu-jitsu like you'd say it's one of the few sports where it's more mental it's like uh like a database kind of collection like you've got to see see uh variations of so many different things and cash that into your database so that you've got like an action or a reaction for it kind of thing so in that sense i think it's like a really mental sport um but if you had this like mental gift for like learning techniques seeing techniques and then applying techniques did you just like kind of not know you had it until you took it more seriously or was there no one around you to like foster that because you got to think a dude like you that's done what you've done and the way that people talk about your abilities, like, that's like child prodigy shit that should be, you'd think would naturally just be fostered. Like, whenever anyone sees a talent, it's very apparent. Like, if you can see a fucking three-year-old hit a golf ball better than you, you're like, oh, oh, that's Tiger Woods. Or if you can see... Uh, you know a swimmer that can uh, swim like crazy fast with no coaching so it's like I feel like talent on the scale that you've got it is super identifiable so it's like why was it that you didn't take it super serious to start with uh, because there wasn't
0: anything really going on like uh, I think in my city there were three guys teaching jujitsu. so in the immediate vicinity there were three guys making money of jujitsu. so you know what I mean like are you going to dedicate your life to a sport that doesn't You're not even going to be able to support yourself, doing. And then there was no internet then, right, really, for jiu-jitsu? There wasn't much. And even MMA was still banned in uh, Australia at the time. So, Mm. like, even the MMA route would have been basically impossible when I first started. Obviously, it's come a long way since then. But I think in terms of talent, it's just how much interest do you have in the sport? How many questions are you asking yourself, trying to solve every day? It's easy to go to class, learn what the coach shows you, go home. It's easy to watch the Supervite events watch it and go home it's very difficult to always be thinking about what's been going on always be studying match footage Mm. always be maybe coming to class with questions and not even just questions for your coach questions for guys that are doing particular things to you it's also very difficult to try and analyze the trend of the sport and see where it's going yeah so i think i realized quite early earlier than most even that uh the sport was heading the next major trim was in heel hooks seeing gordon and gary and eddie way back in the day utilizing them against uh I guess opponents you'd typically think were better at jiu-jitsu than them. Mm. So like the ability to identify trends, I think is very, very important in that sense.
1: So when was it then that, or or like, I guess, did you know that you were like super talented at jiu-jitsu when you were like that white and blue belt, or would you say that you weren't that talented? Because I mean, I'm obviously like I'm into jiu-jitsu, but you're a guy that, I found through this whole thing and like you see you to me you seem like an anomaly out of everybody and it's like on a combination of different things like uh, if you look at like Gordon Ryan like that dude to me seems like an athlete he's a jock kind of guy that is super fucking dedicated who's got the best coach who's lived his whole life like that's what I would see as like this traditional kind of athlete in a sense and like same with gary tonan even the way that locky trains like he how he breaks down like his strength and conditioning then flexibility and like the ways that he can make gains so, to me they seem like more like uh the standard athlete and i think with you like there's just something different um and it's got to be like the mentality that you have and like the way that you think about the sport so like yeah i guess it's um but it's in, I'm interested even if I wasn't into like if you were just a case study and I wasn't interested in jiu-jitsu and someone said you got to study this Craig Jones dude from like a sports psychology sports standpoint I think you'd just be generally interesting to everybody um, and it is interesting to me that you didn't really have like that traditional all in like look like Nicky Ryan sort of approach
0: yeah well I mean I would never even really had a coach for an extended period of time um, I had a coach coming up. I had my coach, but I mean, obviously, given that we started, I think either he was a white belt or a blue belt, I was a white belt. Like, mm. I mean, I'm not getting taught by black belts, I believe, up until... Purple. Not like
1: if you walk into Absolute right now and get yeah. taught by Lockie.
0: Yeah, times are different now. So it's like um, he would get a belt so I could get a belt. Obviously, a purple belt has to be... Uh, you have to be a purple to grade someone to blue belt, et cetera. Mm. So we'd follow that path, and I moved to absolute at the end of 2015 and was graded to black belt at the end of 2016 so even up until black belt what's that one year of coaching under a black belt mm-hmm. so it was, it's it's yeah it's a bizarre set of circumstances which I don't think you could recreate anymore yeah the sports progressed too much for you to be in a situation like that
1: yeah and yeah. still hit it yeah I think though, like when did you know that like or like did you ever get the vibe that like you were like a special talent like in the gym or like you know you said your coach was a pearl belt when you were a blue belt sort of thing like would you say that back then like if you obviously it's hard to look at it in the moment but when you look back at it are you like you know what i did do some freaky fucking shit i didn't even think so because
0: every time i would win i would take a crushing loss you know what i mean mm-hmm. so there was never an undefeated run or anything like that uh, the first time I went overseas I won a tournament and then by the end of that trip I did that was San Fran open um, And then by the end of that trip I lost in 20 seconds at Pan Amps So mm. it's like every time you brought up you brought back down. Yeah I think the only benefit to learning under someone so new to the sport themselves is That you have to know how to self-learn
1: your figure in everything. Yeah, yeah.
0: and there's a lot of people today that because they have access to uh they ask so many questions they have access to so many people that they don't actually learn how to problem solve themselves mm. they always need guidance they need too much guidance yeah okay and like uh like John, i remember Dan, Danaher doesn't really answer questions
1: yeah yeah we were talking about that the other day yeah
0: Yeah. so people come up to him for questions and he'll be like don't ask me a stupid question or he'll say something like uh i wouldn't want to take a uh, uh an opportunity for you to figure this out for yourself I so he's not coming version. across like a
2: dick
1: well, I mean, I'll be arguing a little bit, yeah, but a little bit. But it's like, uh, but it's like, how do you take that? Because if you take it as like, oh, the fucking dick and get defensive, then he's right. You're not gonna learn. Some sometimes it's a dick, but it's hilarious. I know Alberto told me he asked
0: uh, John a question after he trained with John for eight years. He said Travis Stevens came. I don't even know if I should tell this story, but it's pretty funny. Travis Stevens came into the gym. The the judo. Uh, I think he won bronze medal or silver medal, and he would pass. Alberto with the same over-underpass every time. And every time he passed, John was watching and John was like, excellent work, Mr. Stevens. And then after class, Alberto goes to John, do you have any tips on how to defend the over-underpass? And John goes, just shoot yourself, man. (laughs) (laughs)
1: That's fucking incredible. You know
0: what I mean? I learned it a long time ago that if you want to solve a problem and you ask a question, you're more likely to uh, forget it than if you figure out a solution to Mm -hmm. yourself.
1: You know one thing that Lockie said to me that I thought was pretty cool was... um, Uh, with that Brooke chick was that she asked the right questions so that really actually stuck with me I was like hmm it's kind of like the fucking matrix remember when she walks in and she's like that's the wrong question (laughs) Neo," and he's like thinking like what is the right question and man I think that that's like a huge part of learning is like because there's like cop-out questions right and I mean not to throw Alberto under the bus but it's like it's just like you're asking to be told what to do not why you should do it in a way so it's like when Lockie said that that's something that i've thought about and even in my own training like man i'm straight up the biggest fucking geek ever like i went to jiu-jitsu the first night and that was in the end of april this year and i was like cool this is me now and i got fucked up like, and my girlfriend was actually there watching. But I, for whatever reason, there was something there that I was like, all right, cool, this is the thing that I'm doing. And I was straight on YouTube and I was, like, watching everything. And, and I did... I wondered for a little bit, like, if that was too much. Well, your first mistake was bringing your girlfriend to watch you get beat up by One million percent, bro. <laughs> what the fuck was I thinking? <laughs> yeah, that first class is... I mean, the first three months is, no joke, really. Like, it's just pure survival. But there was i don't know for whatever reason i just went deep into studying i bought like a jiu-jitsu university from amazon you know the the book yes and then i like i fucking went uh we went to the sunshine coast i read that cover to cover in like a day and then that that was like my referencing And, and then i sort of started thinking like fuck am i just like overloading my brain is it like i was questioning if it was the kind of sport where you should just go do the class learn the moves and then go home and then try and implement those moves in a live situation and i've well i guess it's been like seven months now but i am really thinking and i said this to one of the girls that trains with us is that i think that if you want to be good at anything in life you should take control of your own learning and obviously it's not like to discredit the learning that you get at the gym but like you've got a game that you play and you've got a style. And I think that the longer you train, obviously you're gonna to gravitate towards certain things. And that might not be what gets taught when you go to the gym. So it's like, if you wanna play that game and if they're positions you're finding yourself in, it's like, should it be up to you to like be your own instructor as well? There's so many resources where you can do it.
0: Yeah, that's the that's the tricky thing. I guess like uh, when you go to university, they teach you how to evaluate
1: sources evaluate mm. the quality of a source so like uh, so don't watch Lachlan Giles' YouTube channel junk junk fuck if I it's free so. it's junk nah. <laughs> Um, yeah so obviously you go to uni you study anything BJJ Fanatics discount code <laughs> Craig Journey. <Yeah. laughs> get that shit white belts download the like Lock DVD please <laughs> so like uh, obviously
0: yeah there are a lot of resources out there and the problem is when you're a white belt you it's maybe know yeah you're not experienced enough to make the call whether that's a valuable resource or that's junk mm. and that's the tricky part You don't know until it's too late. You spend your time trying a move that's not uh, tested, really. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. But did you then... So, to go back, you had your coach who was only a belt above you, and it was almost like you guys were kind of learning jiu-jitsu together. So, do you think that sort of set you up to really kind of develop overall, like, as a jiu-jitsu practitioner because you had been so used to, like, teaching yourself, essentially? Uh, I think so.
0: And I think it was easier back then to learn from online resources because... There was less. Like, if you were on it, that meant you
1: were actually legit, Yeah, there
0: wasn't a big enough budget. It wasn't a big enough profit margins for everyone to have a crack at it. So, really, there Mm. was very limited stuff out there.
1: That was, like, uh, stand-up comedy back in the day. Like, you really only had, like, those Showtime specials. And that was like it that's what all the comedians would work towards so it would almost be comparable to where it's like the networks that were going to invest the money in like an instructional dvd or whatever they were going to get the best dude because it was a short like this was in limited supply but now everyone like you get random dudes like lachlan giles who like realistically what have they done in the sport you know they (laughs) just start a youtube channel out of a garage in st kilda (laughs) but no like I, i guess that's right but um yeah it's like how much is too much or but i i found myself recently uh like when i did the camp with Lockie, right it was butterfly single x and x guard and all of that like there's a lot of that where i just straight don't remember and luckily Liv filmed pretty much the entire camp so we all got that as like reference but it's really hard to even uh, retain all of that information and then implement it on a guy that's just better than you at jiu-jitsu. So, I mean, I got to a point... Like, I've kind of hit a point recently where I'm like, like, I've got your um, Z-Guard um, encyclopedia uh, and then the one that you and Kit did um, and then, like, a Kimura thing and Lockie's Chokes DVD. And that, it's kind of like a little... For me i'm like in my head like that's my little world and i want to get good at that little world before i really start to like learn everything if that makes sense and i'm i don't know whether that's like the right approach or not because it's like i guess everything can help you at, in some situation you might get taught something super random that's not part of your game or whatever but it obviously it would help but it's like i wonder if there is like there's got to be that balance between like learning but then being a dude that just sits on youtube and just googles every fucking thing wants to be a Baron guy wants to be a top game guy wants to be a you know what i mean
0: yeah yeah for sure i think uh, even just spending a lot of time watching matches matches watching how high level matches play out and the tricky thing again is as a white belt when you watch a high level match you look for the most exciting moment and you watch that over and over and over mm. again but it's more the subtle changes in position and details, the tiny setups, the and tr- frames, and trying to figure out what they're doing. Yeah,
1: it's it's funny um, watching your uh, Z Guard Encyclopedia DVD that you did. That's available at BJJfanatics.com. <laughs> um, it's for me anyway. I don't know if it's the same for other people, but like I'll watch your. I do watch a lot of matches, and I just enjoy watching it. And I watch your style a lot as like a lanky sort of dude as well. And you can kind of watch it, but it's like it's like listening to a conversation where you don't know all the words, right? And then I, then I like say I watch your DVD and there's some of that like uh, reverse X, the way that you set up like saddle and stuff out of some of those really underneath reverse X guard positions. And it's like, I watched the match before I watched that DVD. And then it's like, I because of that DVD, I now understand those words so and i always told you people that jujitsu is like watching a conversation with people that know a language that you either do or don't know or if you're a white belt you know like a little bit of it and if you're a blue belt you know a little bit more of that language and if you're a black belt you're fluent and it's like you're watching a conversation like you can it's like almost like an argument right it's like who's going to get the better of that argument like no you're not going to get that arm and pulling that out and then you sort of constantly readjust and it's like this language but I found that after watching certain, like your DVD in, speci- in particular pertaining to your matches, it's a lot easier to see what's going on and see those setups and see things before they happen because you kind of know those words, if that makes sense.
0: Oh, for sure. For sure. And when you watch match footage, the best trick is to like, say, you're trying to pick up a concept. So the best would be to watch, you've got 10 videos of someone being outside heel hooked. So the best is to watch all those 10 one by one and try and notice the similarities Mm. in what has occurred in all of them. And then maybe you have 10 other videos where the guy escapes the outside heel hook. Mm. Try and identify the difference. So like a concept you could pick up watching outside heel hooks is very rarely will someone tap to an outside heel hook when their hips are higher than their opponents. Mm. So little details like that. That's like a concept you could pick up. It's hard to notice, but if you watch the same finishes over and over again, you'll pick up concepts so what was similar it's like if you watch someone get their back taken like what did you find similar in each of the similar back takes between either the same guy doing it 10 times or 10 different guys getting a back take
1: i just think you blew the minds of everybody <laughs> listening that does jiu that's a fucking super cool way of looking at footage when did you first sort of when did that kind of come in to your mind to do that or is that a natural uh, thing you tr- always done?
0: Yeah, just trying to, like, I'll, I would identify something I want to work on and then find as much match footage as I can of people implementing that move and also failing at that and trying to identify what was similar when it worked, what was similar when it didn't work. Mm. But then it's also a problem with heel hooks because sometimes people tap when it's not on. Yeah. So you might watch 10 videos and you might know, you might start to get a picture that it's hard to break the guy's leg if his hips are too high off the ground because you can't put as much force through your hips. But then you see a couple guys tap and you're like oh sort of like uh
1: why did they tap it wasn't all the way on but i think the the crazy thing is the the heel hook thing is interesting because it it really changed i think it changed all of jiu-jitsu in my opinion like nicky ryan's um he did was it kasai What Nicky Ryan did... He did the Quintet recently. Nicky did the Quintet, he did the Kasai. Yeah, but Kasai was the one before... He went on right before Lockie, right? At Kasai. Lockie... luckily, Giles... I don't think he has done Kasai. Oh, well, what was the one that... Because I'm pretty sure... um, Oh fuck! Maybe yeah. Anyway, it oh, was, you're talking about Polaris. Is it Polaris, Polaris no, Okay, it. cool. So there was that match, right? And he had the MMA dude, the English guy. I can't remember his name, but obviously a phenomenal grappler. And the whole thing is like, Nikki's this leg guy. Nikki's this leg guy. He's this leg guy. Stay away. So then the MMA guy, I fucking feel bad for getting his name, but he basically just went straight into Nikki's guard, assuming that because Nikki's this leg lock kid. That the guard would be a safe place to play and it's like no 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 this is the legs is what is like really threatening but people don't see the rest of his game because they're he's so good at that leg locks but then it goes the other way to where a guy's so scared of leg locks he just walks himself into the other part of his game and i think that that's what's really changed jiu-jitsu and guys like you and gordon at uh, well that whole danaher squad the way that you're attacking with legs and like it opens up the rest of your game and i think that for a while there it was like no these are like these one trick pony sort of dudes that only do that but then it's like no that's just like our first thing that's what we're sort of going to if you want to go into the rest of the world then you're going to step in you're going to invite yourself in to a position where you wouldn't sort of be doing so i think leg locks really changed jiu-jitsu in the way that it seems like they've forced people to engage more in a way because you can't stand at that that uh leg entanglement distance where you guys are just going to go under and then get into the saddle and start working from there it's like brought people in is that like a correct assumption yeah
0: i mean either one way or the other either yeah. they don't engage at all mm. or they're trying to commit uh
1: and control the hips completely play a lower game i guess but when you'll come in and play that lower game then you're exposing yourself to to other attacks yeah a whole other sort of world of like normal jiu-jitsu in a way
0: and like I said anytime you are fearing something your opponent does too much then you're going to open yourself up to uh, other attacks like I said earlier like if I was too worried about it's like Harry Gretchen his Kimura he might actually catch me with something else because I'm so concerned about my thumb position and whatever position I'm in so he doesn't get a Kimura that I give him something super obvious something Mm. a mistake I might not have made yeah Yeah. a lot of guys get Submitted with other things because they're so terrified of heel hooks.
1: Yeah, it definitely makes sense, and you can like kind of see that happening. And I guess is the heel hook like the most gnarly submission? Do you think like the inside heel hook? The inside, yeah, for sure. Probably, I guess, the most catastrophic in terms of the damage that it can do.
0: Yeah, I think yeah, in- good inside heel hook probably put you out for six to twelve months.
1: It's fucking crazy because people don't really think of jujitsu like that.
0: No, and sometimes you get to weigh it up. Maybe it's ADCC final. Maybe you're gonna mm. you're up on points. You're gonna let him break it.
1: I don't think there's too many sports like that either. <laughs> True, man. Fuck, I'm not letting anyone jack with my ACL. <laughs> but I guess you say that, and then there's been some times like where you'll get your arm like dislocated in an armbar, and you're like, "Well, oh, I didn't think that that was gonna happen," because you kind of you're like, "No, I got it, I got it," but you don't have it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That does. It does happen a lot of injuries mm. so uh, when did you like really think that oh fuck jujitsu is actually gonna be like my life now because that's really what it is like you i guess you're maybe part of like this first new generation of like guys with social media that travel around the world they can advertise privates everywhere they go they can do seminars everywhere they go when did that start to become like thing that was on your radar um I'm not really sure after after the ADCC maybe. Pl- yeah after
0: ADCC you just sort of start getting more seminar invites and there came a point where in time where it was like I was making more money traveling yeah then I am back here in absolute but then obviously I got a way out between my own training and my own ability to make money I can only make money while I'm doing well at competition and the more seminars I do realistically the worse I'm going to do at competition mm. so it's kind of a balancing act but yeah I sort of uh I always planned to make money in the sport, but I never thought it would be as easy as it is right now. Mm. But obviously, I do recognize that it's like a a seminars. Wave. Yeah, it's like a popularity contest, you know what I mean? You have yeah. you have one good match, everyone loves you. A bad match, you're forgotten very quickly. If you if you follow the sport for any period of time, there was some guys that are very, very famous, and then, bang, they're gone. Maybe they got injured, and they've lost. Uh,
1: but do you think that moments. that was the case in like the social media era? Because I feel like once people have a fan base, like, look at AJ Agazam, right? Like, he's, like, the Chael son of Jiu-Jitsu, really. He's, like, he's a professional troll. Like, oh, yeah. and he loves it. And Kit's almost the same. So, it's like, but kid isn't out there really pushing super hard, like, match-wise and things like that, right? So, it's like, are we in a new age where, like, if you can control your image and keep enough people engaged like social media wise where it's like that's where longevity is going to come from
0: yeah i think so i think you see everyone try different approaches obviously kids approach ages approach gordon has his own approach you see a lot Hale of guy, King. yeah you see a lot of guys trying a lot of different things on there so yeah it's definitely changed it's just copying mma mm. i guess it's just a poor man's version of mma
1: yeah it is huh yeah that it's crazy like the whole dylan thing with like connor like that's probably the most jiu-jitsu's ever been talked about really like you i would say so yeah d- you couldn't get away from the fucking name dylan dennis for like two weeks after that fight. <laughs> that's crazy but it's like it is like he's a bit of a troll too right really yeah yeah for way. sure you yeah he's just playing the
0: game and i guess he's learning from the best you know what i mean a lot of people don't like dylan dennis for it but there's no
1: question it's working oh 100 percent and you know there's there's a lot of shit that that comes with that but I mean, on the Dylan Dennis front, like he's got to be doing something right. Like Conor McGregor isn't the kind of like he has access to everybody, like it like they're friends, they like each other, and when you're a guy, like I'm sure you've met some pretty famous people, like super famous dudes, like on that level, they're not just like inviting people into their circle, as like every hey come on private jet with me, man, like yeah the fucking cruise. And eh, I don't really know you that well, but like he's really offering something. Of substance to Connor that I would say goes a lot further than jiu-jitsu so it's like there's something there with Dylan where like people were kind of talking shit but it's like he's obviously a pretty legit motherfucker in like a lot of aspects
0: yeah he's very good I think um a lot of people have a short memory with his jiu-jitsu career because I know he's had quite a few draws lately or maybe even losses in his latest submission grappling matches but especially we go back to his brown belt days one of the most dominant brown belts I think I've ever seen and very much so submitting guys or, uh, and showcasing a lot of wrestling even back then it's just like I said like people have a very short memory of the sport so it's easy to mm. easy to hate on him now for maybe losing a few matches but I mean he, he gave Gordon probably his most difficult match at ADCC mm. and he's also obviously he's bigger than Gary Tonin but he took Gary Tonin to a draw so yeah, he's a very impressive grappler. I think uh, him and Conor are so tight because he came along so early in Conor's career as well. Mm. Obviously not like way back John Kavanagh days, yeah. but like, uh, in terms of his popularity, his fame, I think before Conor really hit it huge, Dylan was in there training with him.
1: Yeah, and it's harder to get inside that circle as
0: you do get bigger and bigger. Oh, for sure. Conor would have to insulate himself from i guess we're
1: crazy people (laughs) but he's crazy as fuck himself yeah (laughs) i mean he might need to be insulated from a lot um you don't really seem to go like crazy hard with the social media thing like i mean kit that's like his thing is like he's really like all over social media stuff plus he's like trying to be an actor and shit i guess so it's like different it's not apples and apples there but like where are you at with that whole social media thing um, I can't for the most part I can't really be bothered with it that's what it seems like yeah I try and have some fun
0: with it I mean I know you see guys like Eddie Cummings he probably even puts in less effort than I do on that. <laughs> dude
1: for sure yeah but um, yeah I mean but he seems like he's too smart for Instagram yeah he's the same <laughs> he's <laughs> yeah. like too smart for that she's like eh, nah
0: yeah they hate it hey but I mean it's a, you just have to do it it's a tool right have
1: you like can you see a correlation between actively putting effort into instagram and money in your bank um you'd have to in terms of yeah in terms of seminar a seminar mm. office yeah the more
0: it's hard to see a direct direct effect
1: well like you got that barefoot jujitsu yeah yeah so i mean there's like that there's sponsor stuff that comes out of that so i guess that like there really is like a
0: Oh, for sure. I'm F it in, money
1: out. I am trying to
0: build it. I'm just never going to be... I guess some guys talk to the camera every day. They're doing crazy amounts of stories and stuff. Like, I can't really be bothered doing that. Yeah. But uh, some aspects of it I do enjoy because you get to talk with some people, some fans and stuff, or just some. Mm. you meet some interesting people on in there and stuff.
1: Is it... Um, was it a weird transition to go from, like, no one knowing who you were and, like, walking around completely under the radar to then everybody in jujitsu like knowing who you are and obviously like it's a it's a small community so it's not like you're fucking walking down the street and people like getting your autograph and shit so it's not like you're in that world but if you like just look at the jujitsu ecosystem it's like you're a super famous dude now and that wasn't the case like even just a couple years ago like has it been weird or do you just honestly not care I don't care too much because I know it's so
0: people are so fickle mm. with um, who they support and stuff. But I guess the best part is it's, it's not like, obviously are not truly famous. So it doesn't really affect my day-to-day life. But say I ever need help with something or I need to know things about places. I've got a huge community I can ask a question to yeah. and get a bunch of responses. So in that sense, it's awesome. You know what I mean, You go to a new city, you're like, what do I see here? Yeah, Bang, bang, bang. Like lots of responses and stuff. But yeah, I couldn't imagine if you were truly famous and you couldn't go go anywhere that i mean that would really be horrible
1: has there been any negatives in it to where like because i feel like maybe the only negative at the scale that you're at is probably just people trying to get it come up off what you've done but like is there any negatives that you've kind of had to deal with out of it
0: no i think i've been pretty lucky so far nothing too crazy nothing too weird I think I'm in a I'm a lucky position. I think I'm supported by most of the community because I'm sort of seen as an outsider an Australian in a sport dominated by Americans and Brazilians. Mm. So it's uh, yeah, it's a lot. I guess a lot of good support. Not even too many people talking shit directly
1: to me or on my posts or anything like that. Yeah, you're not a guy that needs that shit to like sell a fight. Or I think like you're probably in a lucky position to where like you've got such a unique style when you fight and then the I guess like we were saying like that calm relaxed demeanor like I think it like takes people back like this dude can't be that good like he looks like he's just like you honestly look like you've just accepted you're gonna lose and you're like what's up dude don't fuck me up too bad let's go and then it's like bang and I think that you know there's just like that interesting thing so it's like maybe you've just got your own thing where you you don't need like a shtick like AJ Agazam has a fucking shtick and people will like it's like a 50 50 on that dude's instagram of love and hate and even dude i fucking never ever ever comment on instagram and i saw he posted a like a happy birthday thing with your mom uh with his mom and i was like i was so close to writing i'd fucking choke her (laughs) and like just because he's like he just seems like he invites that shit and i was like he's probably the kind of dude that would actually enjoy that comment and then it would like start a bunch of shit and it's like he's the kind of guy i think that it's like as long as people are talking about him he's pumped whether it's like good or bad but it's like i don't think his grappling people aren't like if he just shut his mouth and didn't do anything i don't think people would be like as interested to tune in to say as if you were fighting i mean but he did be lucky giles right (laughs) oh <laughs> shoot the shade yeah
0: nah yeah he what, just, did,
1: what did he do in that match how'd that go down I think just a takedown oh is that all it was yeah that's kind of part of his criticism too I guess
0: yeah I mean I, I've got a lot of respect for AJ because no one gets their limbs broken quite like him and <laughs> just recovers from it like it's nothing like his career is full of people ripping shit on him and it just doesn't even affect him
1: it was what was it did he fight dean lister at polaris or something
2: who
0: did he fight who injured him the most oliver Tarza injured him really badly with the inside heel hook oh really and he just let it break i didn't mean gary gary turn put him in a knee bar hyper extended his knee the other direction it was so bad he didn't tap when he stood up to walk off his knee buckled backwards fuck. so it caved in so i don't know that looked like severe damage but then he put up a video <laughs> The next day with a girl standing on his
1: shoulders doing squats. What the fuck? So he is a savage. He's a straight savage, yeah. That's pretty fucking rad. And I guess, too, like, he's rolling with the Diaz boys pretty heavy these days, too. So it's, like, they're legit motherfuckers. Like, there's obviously... I think that's, like, maybe one of the things I've learned through filming with, like, different, um, you know, different athletes and different sports and whatnot is that you kind of see these people on, like, the inside of these circles and if they're at the top of anything like there's a there's always something more to the story that's going on there than what you think like you sort of can't take everyone for face value in terms of like what they're offering like these people like uh yeah like a Dylan and um Connor sort of relationship like there's always a little bit something extra that like once you get over the fence and you peer inside it's like ah that's sort of what's going on so i guess like it, but if you just take aj for like his instagram then you're like what the fuck what the fuck is this dude doing but there's obviously something there
0: yeah well most of the guys that people have problems with you meet them in real life and they're like completely Mm. normal dudes you know what i mean it's all just uh they just use it as a tool to further their life i guess yeah and if i mean if aj can act a certain way that pisses people off and it means when he makes his mma debut he makes a lot more money than like uh who cares you know what i mean yeah (laughs) yeah true he he got it done yeah, I I can appreciate it because having met the guys on a different level, I know mm, yeah exactly. Really you know, that
1: like oh, you've, you've been on the other side of the fence.
0: Yeah, like I remember, I saw AJ put up a photo. What was he wearing? A um, a matching floral shirt and shorts and a beanie and sunglasses, and people were ripping
1: him on that. But it's just like <laughs> it's just a game to him. Yeah, it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it's it's crazy too that like has it just gotten bad? Well, not bad, but has that whole world of like. The whole Instagram jujitsu thing, like, that's a thing now. Is that a new thing, or am I just, like, new to finding this thing?
0: Um, It's definitely... To the level it is today, I don't know how long that's been going on for.
1: Because mm. it's pretty... They're pretty... They go deep.
0: Yeah, like, I mean, AJ's becoming, like, a D-list celebrity or something with the people he hangs out with. I know, so it's right? like, it's... Uh, he's
1: doing some cool shit with it, I guess. Like, he's utilizing it very, very well. Do you think, then... But let's say this trend keeps going. And we start seeing AJ Agazan with fucking Bieber. Like, he was he was doing security at that Logan Paul KSI. Like, that was fucking big, dude. That did 5 million YouTube buys. I think it was like $10 a pay-per-view on YouTube. Yeah, they made a lot of money off that. That's some fucking cash, man. And AJ's in that shit. He was in there boxing with Logan before and stuff, yeah. Like, so, with all this that's going on. And then, like we said, we got Dylan that did... He fucking i'd say in terms of like if you want to use a super lame marketing term like moving the needle i think that dylan dennis moved the jiu needle probably harder than anybody recently right like that was in mainstream culture so it's like if we keep having these dudes like aj and um and fucking what am I blanking? Oh, dylan like uh doing this can you see jiu like getting more mainstream I think so. I think
0: it's still probably one of the fastest-growing hobby sports in the world. Okay, hobby sport. Like, what would you like? um, Like people just do it in their spare time. Like, and it uh, encompasses their life.
1: I suppose that's because, like, like NFL can't be a hobby sport, right? Like, that's just an elite sport. So, okay, yeah, that makes MMA would be a good one too. Like, you're not going to get the average Joe sparring every day for mma
0: but the trick the brilliant trick with jujitsu, jitsu is the belt system how many people do muay thai casually for 10 years yeah and every no night yeah the belt system's just a it's it means something but it's a trick to get you to do it for 10 years mm, that makes sense thank god for the gracies otherwise we'd be like judo and none of us would get paid any money
1: <laughs> so you think that the the belt system is super significant in keeping people going oh for sure for sure how much should people think about the belt Um, because you hear all the dudes like just holds up your pants man it's like well it actually fucking doesn't (laughs) but I get what you're saying (laughs) but I mean yeah like there is that whole like don't worry about the belt and I mean I've even had that chat like don't worry about your blue belt just fucking be a white belt
0: it means something else it means something different to every person obviously but I think uh, I wouldn't get too caught up in it because there's plenty of black belts that suck Mm. there's plenty of blue belts that are really really good so like it doesn't mean you're good it means whatever it does to you, you know what I mean? Mm. So you set yourself a goal, and you get a physical reward for the goal. And that's what holds holds people in the sport.
1: How long, like... So to get a black belt, you're looking at, like, you know, between 10 and 15 years. But then you get a dude like Kit that got his in five. Like, where... You get, like, those blue belts that are, like, insanely good. Like, I got a friend, Nick, that he came to Thailand with us. He's a, we call him the zebra because he's got more fucking stripes on his blue belt than a zebra. But it's like you roll with that dude and you're like, we're doing a different sport. And he's not even bigger than me. He's not, like, he'd be stronger than me. But it's not like that it's a size thing. It's just that straight-up level of fucking savagery that that dude has. For And, again, it's like that data. It's like everything you do, he's already seen you do it. And nothing works with a guy like that. So it's like, what then, like, it, he's not fitting then, I guess, into, like, that 10-year kind of black belt thing. Like, his level of jiu-jitsu is probably a lot higher than his belt. So is jiu-jitsu this thing where, like, you can learn the thing and become super high level at it without being a black belt? Like, or is a black belt just this symbolic thing that represents the time that you've
0: put in? I think a black belt should, should mean you're well-rounded. It shouldn't mean you're effective so say if you deal with a blue belt that kicks your ass you just haven't found found or you maybe don't have the skills yet to exploit his weaknesses
1: mm.
0: whereas like uh say kit obviously got his black belt very quickly so he's very very effective but say someone like andre Gavao or something might be able to exploit his weaknesses that a lot of people cannot yet mm. you, you know what i mean so i think a black belt should mean you're very well-rounded But I'm not saying if you're very, very effective, but not very well-rounded, you shouldn't get a black belt. You should for sure get a black belt. Yeah. If you're kicking people's asses at a higher rank, than you you should be on that rank, whether you even know certain positions or not.
2: Oh, so you think that, yeah, okay.
1: Because
0: at the end of the day, what are we doing it for?
1: You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, because it is like, and I mean, especially for me, like in the position I'm at, because I mean, I've been through a lot of stuff. So that's why it's cool to talk to, people like yourself and people like locky because like locky said if you're winning blue belt worlds you should probably be giving him like a really fucking hard time so then there's a dude that's competing at the highest level as a black belt and he's saying a blue belt should be able to give him a hard time so it's like it it seems like like it doesn't all seem to add up right and i think that even um even for me like i had this idea of jiu-jitsu as like okay so this is like you're in you're a white belt and you like you live in this little lane and you shouldn't be doing barambolos you shouldn't be doing kiss of the dragon taking people's back like that's just sort of not the lane that you do and I kind of see where that comes from like you want to build a house with good foundations you don't just want to like go and put up the fucking chandelier while you haven't got a roof on the house like it's not going to be a solid thing to do you're probably going to fuck up the chandelier so it's like yeah, where's the balance between that, like staying in the lane? But then I've sorta of like switched my thing to like, well I just wanna be good at jujitsu regardless of the lane I should stay in or the belt I wear or whatever. And I mean it has a way of leveling out, right? Like a purple belt will pretty much all the time fuck up a blue belt and a white belt. So it's like I guess the 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 belt's like a rough indication. But it's like, should you be thinking about it as like, All right? well, th- I'm just going to try and get good at jujitsu and not worry about the belt or use the belt to restrict what I think I should know.
0: I mean, I wouldn't tell people to not do something that would greatly interest them. Um, if you told them not to do something, they might not spend as much effort into the things you're telling them to work. Mm. So whatever puts people in the mats for longer is better for their jujitsu, I think. Mm. Obviously, if you're trying to learn the beer and baller, you don't know how to play De guard, yeah, you're never going to get good at the beer and baller. So hopefully you're intelligent enough to come to that realization. Mm. You know what I mean?
1: So yeah. like, oh, yeah, it should come full circle, hopefully. The, it was interesting. Um, the, the whole like you learn from a loss sort of thing is like as, about as true as it gets, I think, in the situation that I just had where I lost and I like to play half guard, Z guard, right? And obviously, you know a lot about that. But I went into this comp and it was a no-gi comp and then the guy was just standing at like this really weird distance that I hadn't really dealt with a lot and then wasn't doing anything. And I didn't really have like an answer for it. And I was like, come here, cunt, like fucking let's go. And he just stood there and I sort of didn't really know what to do. And, but I was still sort of like trying to play his ego but it's like, that's not working. But what it was, was a reverse Delaheva, And I hadn't, Put that together yet? And I, what I did was I put De- Reverse Heva De on a shelf, and I was like, "Look, that's like a blue belt thing. When I get a blue belt, I'm gonna work on that." Right. So that was like a really, really good lesson for me because then, like, I so the comp was Saturday I got fucking beat, and then I went home and I spent all day Sunday watching Reverse Delaheva shit on YouTube. And this was before I got your Z Guard uh dvd and now i wish that i went and bought it like <laughs> a week before that fight because my coach actually said like i was there he's like invert underneath invert underneath and i was like i've fucking never done that shit that's like,
0: pretty hard for a white belt reverse to thing. thing
1: yeah but so i i like inverted underneath him and then i like so sort of, i'd seen a lot of people do it so i kicked the dude out but then he fell oh. onto my knee so i had his back but i i couldn't get that hook around all I had to do, and my coach, Fabio, was telling me, roll over to the other side because the top hook was in. So that would have then been the bottom hook. Put that one in. Game over. Would have had his back and would have won the, would have won the fight. But it was that. Um, it was just that knowledge. And it was like, yeah, so you could say, like, there's the kiss of the dragon kind of technique or whatever. But you need to know that if you're going to play Z-Guard or Half-Guard, then a hole in that game is if someone stands up, now you need to be in reverse del heaver. So it's like a, yeah, it is, it's interesting to me that I kind of like put that shit on the shelf and I wasn't, like I just said, I'll learn that when I, when I go to like a blue belt sort of thing. But it's like, if.
0: if It's a, it's a great way to do it. Anytime you get beaten with something, then now that's the time to learn it. Mm. Therefore, the more you train, the more you compete, the more things you have to learn, the more time you're going to spend on the mats. You know what I mean? so sometimes it might be better to not think about it like uh this is for this belt this is for this belt Mm. it's just if you're getting beaten with something it's time to address it
1: yeah and it it was it was just a classic case of like the belt where i was at and like the lane that i was supposed to stay in was something that cost a uh like a a win or whatever not that that sort of matters but it's like i got beaten with something that i'd kind of put on a shelf but it was it was interesting then and and when i did the camp with locky it was like butterfly single x x and when i went there i was like oh that's cool we'll like work on those three things but it's like there's systems within jujitsu right and i didn't really get it until thailand and locky we sat down and it was like the first thing is like we're gonna do this basic butterfly sweep, bang now if you can't get this underhook then this is what you're gonna do and then if they push this way, then this is what you're gonna do. And now we're in a position to where we're gonna go to single leg X. And then from here, if they do this, now we're going to X Guard. So it's like that was my first look at like Jiu Jitsu as this system. And I'm thinking I'm like I'm like fuck you can like play a, you can do jujitsu in this game, right? So like you've got Z Guard, Delaheva, reverse Delaheiva, and that's obviously putting it very fucking very simply. <laughs> but it's like you're playing in a system that you've developed for you and theoretically that system has an action and reaction for everything right but it's like are you going to do it flawlessly so i think that that opened my eyes to like that system and when was the first time you kind of thought or do you even think about jiu-jitsu like that
0: yeah yeah you got to uh, obviously anticipate counter counter reactions and stuff like that that's uh, the whole game to me is thinking about what are they going to do if this doesn't work or what are they going to do if this works but not well enough to get the finish? You know what I mean. Try and yeah, uh, try and fit them all into one. I guess the almost old school one is what is it? You go for the hip bump sweep. You can turn into a guillotine. or, yeah. or a kamura. Yeah, um, that was the first time I learned that. You know what I mean? Like one attack can lead into another straight off their defense.
1: Yeah, yeah. And when did you like? Because you're a guy that's responsible for like. You like you go to St Kilda and I mean I haven't trained here but at St Kilda it's like people know how to do Z Guard, Delheva, reverse De heva single leg X, like that whole world, those dudes are ninjas at it. And it's like when did you realise that you were like wanted to play a game in, in a way? Like you're obviously a super rounded black belt.
0: Oh, you just want to beat people, you know what I mean? Mm. the easiest way to you wanna beat people. So it's better just part path the least resistance. Yeah, what are old black belts not wanna do? Learn new shit. Mm. So that's the way to
1: beat them. Yeah, okay. So when did you start implementing that thought? Or was that just like a natural thing? And then you're like. The clearest, the clearest example was when
0: uh, uh, bl- black belts would hate on heel hooks. Yeah. It was, but, oh, they're too dangerous. But they don't know what they're talking about. You know what I mean? This is a set of guys that think they're too dangerous. So that's an excuse for them to neglect learning the intricacies of it. I don't think there's any dangerous move. there's moves, there's only dangerous training partners. Mm. The same guy that's going to hurt you with a heel hook is going to hurt you with another submission. Or you're going to hurt yourself because you don't understand the game. Mm. First time you get an arm bar, what are you trying to do? Pull your arm out. Injure it out. Or worse. First time you get a heel hook, you're trying to turn your leg out. Maybe you turn it the wrong way, you hurt yourself. So when old school black belts hate on heel hooks, they don't hate on them because they didn't work. No one hates on moves that don't work on them. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, that's the first trick.
1: Well, even Lockie said at the start, he was like, Z-guard's a shit guard. Yeah. yeah. And mean, he, like, he's, like, said that to people. And, and, like, he said, well, he said that to me, that he said that when he was like, ah, Craig's doing the Z-guard thing, and it's kind of shit, but, you know. So is it, like, you think that that's the case where it's, like, people just, yeah, they're, like, kind of almost, like, neglecting this new thing because it's this whole new, because, like...
0: That's the, it's been the path in Jiu-Jitsu for as long as I've been in it. They hated on deep half guard when it came about. They mm. hated on 50 50 guard when it came about. They hated on the birambolo when it came about. And each and every one of those moves isn't even up for discussion anymore. It's mm. just part of the game. Anytime something new comes about, people are going to hate on it. It's, uh, and they hate on it because it's effective. Sometimes they hate on it because it's a junk move. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Like all 10th planet. (laughs) (laughs) Like, but yeah, like sometimes they're right, but you got to know when they're wrong and that's very hard to predict, I guess.
1: Mm. The other thing that I wanted to talk, this is like, by the way, sorry to everyone listening, this is the most selfish fucking podcast (laughs) I've ever done, but fuck it, there'll be more. Um, The other thing I was wondering is like, you've put on like a lot of weight, like muscle-wise, size-wise. And I started having this thought in my head Like, I'll go to the gym, and there'll be dudes that are like 85, 90 kilos, and they're better than me technique-wise, already. So I've got that, fucking tick that box for me getting my ass kicked. And then you chuck in the 85, 90 kilos, tick that box, and then you tick the box where they're just strong as fuck at that weight as well, and then that's three boxes ticked of me getting fucked up. So in my head, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking like, man, next year do I, or like kinda when these comps finish, should I, like, really fucking hit the gym and get stronger? Because in my mind, I'm like, what's going to get me better at jiu-jitsu? Like, what's going to get you better at, say, kimuras? It's like ripping a fuckload fuckload of kimuras, right? So it's like, I get the theory of the technique should be perfect and you shouldn't have to use strength. But it's like, if I'm finishing it and go like, oh, I had a little bit more time to adjust this grip, or it seems like strength buys you time, and then it can also just... Get you like a push through finish, but it's like you're still learning. Like, the best way to learn is by doing those submissions. So, in my head, I'm like, damn, do I try and put on like a bit of muscle, a bit more strength to then maximize these roles where I'm going into the gym with dudes that are a better than me technique wise, but stronger and have more weight? So, like, was that your method of thinking, or did you just sort of want to get in like? the absolute division and so that you could be like kind of one of the top top dudes
0: well I had to go up because Lucky was doing 77 kilos mm. but also people always say this I think Lucky even feels the same way I know he started lifting weights lately but he always used to say because he'd look at his idol Marcelo Garcia and Marcelo would say you don't need yeah. to lift weight and the, what you're talking about there is two naturally thick ass dudes you know yeah, what Lockie's I mean Lucky's back looks like a fucking turtle <laughs> so me growing up as a lanky guy I was, I I would get injured. You yeah. get injured all the time. So it's all kind good for a thick, muscular, a guy that's dude. muscular from training, to say, don't lift weights. I, I don't have to. Of course, you don't have to. You know what I mean? You already look like you do lift weights. Yeah. The main purpose of lifting weights is uh, protection against injuries. Okay. So if a white belt, he might get better at jujitsu by doing jujitsu. But if he doesn't lift weights and make his body strong, there's a good chance that uh, he's going to injure himself and be on the sidelines for a while. Yeah. And that's why I think, I think you need to add weightlifting to your system as a white belt. Because say you've finished high school, you went to work, and this is the situation with most people that I think start jiu-jitsu. They went to high school, when they're in high school they did maybe some sports, maybe they did a tiny bit of weightlifting afterwards, and then they went to work for a while, got bored, started to get out of shape. They're like, I want to do something fun. They get into jiu-jitsu, but their body's been on the, they've been resting for like mm-hmm. five years and those guys that take a big chunk of period off, a time period off or maybe they partied for five years or something they get into the most and they get into the most brutally mm. you know what I mean so I think you can't just come in and fight every day you need to do something to protect your body as well mm. and strength and conditioning is that but I'm not saying just go to the gym and be be a bro I think yeah. you need a, 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 a professional to watch you lift because otherwise you're going to do more harm than you're good you're going to get hurt there as well
1: Yeah. yeah but so do you think that that like the way that I'm thinking has merit in terms of like, because basically, I think, like, let's say I roll, like, I train six days a week and you roll three times in every day. So it's like, what's that, 18 rolls or whatever that you're doing a week. Let's say half of those rolls are with guys that are bigger and stronger and better. So it's like, for me, it's like a, if I can get on the bigger and stronger, and then it's just, then now I'm dealing with one thing and that's that they're better than me technique wise so it's like you're going from half of your roles being completely undergun technique wise and then completely overpowered strength wise like if you can bridge that gap do you see that as being like a way to sort of progress even more
0: oh for sure if two people are equally strong then the more technical guy's gonna win but you might be better than someone if he's stronger than you he still might win yeah you know what i mean so anything you can do to bridge that gap is better i would make sure that if you did get strong that doesn't
1: replace your technique yeah yeah you know what i mean but just I supplement there, to it there's like an element though of um like strength is just it's like your gas pedal right because there's a thing in motocross where like if you start getting sideways on a bike the thing you can't do is shut off the throttle like you need to power out of situations it's the same in a car like, you, you'd like, drift around a corner, and then you let off the gas pedal, and then that fucking thing just grips up and starts, like, gra- grabs traction, then you're in more trouble than if you just held the fucking thing on the stopper. So, to me, in my head, I'm, and again, like, I could be just way off, but it's like, you've got that gas pedal to where you can give yourself, so it's like, you do want to be that sort of technical guy, but, or at least you're not like powerless to somebody that's like because the most common thing like you roll with a big dude what's the first thing he's going to do smash through side control Kimura like that's the big dude playbook so it's like if you've got a bit of extra horsepower to prevent that it seems like to me it's like how do you just maximize those times because yeah you might have 9 out of 18 rolls where you're just undergun the entire time
0: yeah I mean if people if jujitsu was only technique the old ass guys that have been training for 40 years would be the best at it Mm. but they're not the guys, there's a reason we have a master's division. You know what I mean? Technique only takes you so far. Yeah. So it's definitely always better to be stronger. And I've very rarely met anyone that's uh, good that isn't at least
1: somewhat athletic. How much did, like you've competed with Gordon before he went full Arnold. Yeah. Like how big of a difference has that made to him?
0: Um, I competed with him when he was already big the first time. But he's like
1: big now. Big now. Uh, since so he you did. just don't, you d- so he was already pretty well on his way the first time you fought him. Yeah, yeah, because that was his 80CC run. Yeah.
0: Um, it definitely, yeah. It definitely makes a difference, for sure. For sure, but it's, I wouldn't say it's the reason he beat me is because he was stronger. Yeah, when are you going to beat him, by the way? Yeah.
1: <laughs> Can you please beat Gordon Ryan at
0: some point? Yeah, nobody beats me
1: four times. <laughs> How many, has he beat you three times now? Three times. Fuck. Get one back. <laughs> Come on. What is it with Gordon? I mean, he's
0: fucking good. Obviously, I just think he's just the best guy, best guy in the game right now. That quintet was gnarly, dude. Yeah, him killing Josh Barnett—that was a real, a real interesting one. Was whether he could finish Josh Barnett, and he was in mount within a minute.
1: It was fucking demoralizing for Josh Barnett. Like, and I don't think people realize. Like, if you just watch quintet, that's a really poor reflection of like what that dude's actually capable of. Like, you need to go back watch some old-school Josh Barnett heavyweight UFC shit and just, like, look at what he does to people. He's and the then first, first guy to Tab Dean Lister as well. So true. That's where he's... Uh, that's no joke. Most scary. Yeah, so it's, like, for Gordon to do what he did to that guy the way he did it was fucking crazy. But I think that that quintet was such, like, a great look at modern jujitsu, And there was there's always guys that are like for whatever reason just like a level above and I think that you and Gordon are on that level but then obviously like you're 0-3 against him so it's like he's obviously got that another gear there somewhere and I guess that's like gonna be you figuring that out for whenever you guys fight the fourth time but it was really interesting like you run through those 10th planet dudes and they're good fucking guys and I mean not that you beating them makes them not good guys but it was like that was crazy so you had like that side of the draw and i was like holy fuck look what craig jones is doing to these poor motherfuckers and then on the flip side of that draw you had gordon ryan that was like holy fuck look at what this guy's doing to these motherfuckers and then you two met and and had that match and i think it was like a that was like a really good look at like modern jiu-jitsu and getting guys from like different backgrounds and different countries and and that sort of stuff
0: yeah i think that definitely this modern style was are uh, greatly superior to what a lot of the traditional guys are doing. You know what I mean? A lot of people like to think that like Hicks and Gracie could come back today he gave him his youth back and he'd win. He wouldn't win. That's insane that people think that. You know what I mean? The sport obviously progresses. It would be silly if it didn't progress. There are anomalies. Hodger Gracie came out of time and beat Bouchesha, submitted Bichesha. There are, anom- are anomalies. That doesn't mean the sport hasn't progressed. You know what I mean? Roger Gracie is a technical freak Bichesh is technical as well but he's just an athletic monster and Hodja Gracie was able to capitalize on a mistake and didn't let him uh, didn't let him out of that mistake but yeah the sports obviously progressed so even within a five minute a five year window like when I think Barnett submitted Dean enlist five years ago and you see what one of the best modern Nogi grapplers did to Josh Barnett even the two other guys um Shaolin Hibero. Obviously, he's much older, much smaller. Gordon killed him. Um, obviously, Marcus Sousa. Marcus Sousa is an animal. He's a really good guy. Probably, at his, probably past his peak competitively. Gordon ran through him. That's the way it should be. Mm. You shouldn't be able to come out of retirement and beat the best young guys of today. I think there's something wrong with the sport if they, if they can do
1: that. And, yeah, you're right. Like You don't see... Um you know, like a like if fucking Brett Favre come back right now, he ain't winning the Super Bowl. Yeah, and it's not to
0: discredit what those he did, guys or what they've done. There's no point comparing guys from back then to today. Yeah, it's just uh, it's unrealistic unrealistic expectations.
2: No,
1: it makes sense, man. What um, what like do you see jiu-jitsu as? Because even for me, like it's turned into a lot more. Like I I did a fucking float tank the other day and i've never done one before and um way to just yeah sound like rogan too (laughs) um so yeah fucking go nuts on that one um and i was like went in there and like i've been stressed with work and then obviously competing and then i I knew i was in sydney and gonna be fucking carrying on in sydney and i was like in there i was like all right think about all this shit you got on your plate think about you know all this stuff that's got you stressed out and i fucking went in that float tank for an hour stone cold sober and i could not stop thinking about jiu-jitsu. i was actively telling myself dude you just paid 75 bucks to try and sort some shit in your life out and all you're fucking doing is drilling and i was on the plane and i was watching uh one of your dvds and i was like i was it was like i was fucking drilling that shit in my head i was watching myself do it have you been in those sensory deprivation i've done it yeah i did it one time did you have did you have that like were you thinking about jiu-jitsu when you're in there I kind of remember what I was thinking about to be, <laughs> to be Dude, honest. Like I was like act like mad at myself. I was like, "You're fucking wasting this." And I mean, turns it like you know. I guess visualization is a big part of sport, but there's just something weird that goes on to where it's like it, it's not just a sport. Like it's a fu- it's a thing that I don't really know what it is yet. And it's like maybe with the level that you've reached at it, it's like you. Do you reach a level where you get almost like enlightenment as to like what this thing is that you've spent your life doing?
0: No, I didn't think so because it changes all the time. You know what I mean. Mm. It's just like uh, I guess it's just um, it's obviously it's like a fight without punches. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But there's like uh, endless possibilities to win, and endless possibilities to lose. So it's just uh, if you're a competitive person then it's just going to
1: be addictive. There's always going to be a challenge to overcome. Like there's always going to be a sort of a mountain there. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, it's definitely, it's, it's definitely unlike anything that I've ever done. And I mean, I even was like, I remember when I first started, I'd like come home and I couldn't even remember who I rolled with, but I could remember the entire role. If that makes sense. And it's like, to me then that's what made me start thinking of like, well, what am I really doing here? If I can't even remember who I competed against, so like what was the competition if i can't remember the dude i just rolled with for six minutes
0: i quite often don't even remember what happened in the match that i just competed in Mm. so yeah it's like uh you get lost in the moment
1: i guess it's like one of those things and and i get this in um in motocross i don't get any motocross anymore to be honest i'm just fucking scared because i know what happens injury like I've had horrific injuries, my brother's had horrific injuries, I've had friends die, like the whole gamut of shit has gone down in that world for me. So now I'm just scared. But when I ride like mountain bikes, when I surf, I think that the thing that we're all doing, whether we have realized it or not, is like that full meditation phase, where it's like that zone that you're trying to get in when you're like meditating. Like the flow state or whatever. Yeah, and I think that some stuff is like, it's just like depending on your personality your character like you can get into that flow state doing crochet or you can get into that flow state doing jujitsu. but it's like it's that's sort of what we're chasing because there is nothing else and it's like even uh you know when they say like time stands still it's like well time's moving at the exact same pace it's just that you're paying no attention to it there's no space in your memory or in your consciousness to pay attention to time and it's like that is, is that where this feeling comes from And is that what we're doing is like we're almost addicted to being in that moment or is it the fact that it is just this constant challenge that you're never going to get right
0: yeah I guess it's just uh, completely lost in the moment very difficult to do that early on sometimes in Jiu Jitsu because it's like uh, so frustrating mm. when you come out of it you know what I mean but with the right training partners you can definitely achieve that
1: yeah, no, nah, for sure. What, what, um, what do you uh, make of the announcement? Well, I guess we can't not talk about you and Keenan with the the rematch. Oh yeah, very excited for that. We got to give this a plug. We can put this <laughs> on the gram, you know, sell some tickets.
0: <laughs> yeah, very excited for that. I was glad. Is he gonna
1: is he gonna play like Worm Guard, like a no gi version of his Worm I saw
0: someone put that up. They said I, a I was hung enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he can play Worm Guard. It's <laughs> uh, just a good match because he beat me in ADCC in this last 80cc, and he's obviously a very well-decorated grappler, so it's a great challenge to get, and I like, uh, I like Keenan as a guy, as a fan, everything, so like uh, to get a match against a guy like that, who's a, a good guy, you know what I mean? Like It's not a match against someone like Pahares where like, if it goes poorly, he's going to severely injure up. me. Yeah, It's just a, a really fun match, and it's cool. He wanted to do it at 200 pounds, I'm the champ at 185, so I talked him into making it a 205 pound one for the belt. So I was pretty excited about that as well.
1: Is it, is it cool the position that you're in to where like you can kind of get the fights that you want to get nowadays? Like is that the, because I guess is that what makes ADCC and those comps so good? Is that they can like, like you could be screaming like, I would fuck Leandro Lowe up. And then Leandro Lowe is going to go, sit down, yeah, be yeah. humble. <laughs> and you never, you never fucking touch that dude. But, like, when it happened with you, you go through some, you know, CC qualifier, wherever, and then, bam, you've got Leandro Lowe, and now you make this crazy name for yourself. Is it, like, is that the goal, is to get that one fight that breaks you out to now you can fight these people like you have looked up to? I'm sure you've been a fan of Keenan forever. Oh,
0: forever. The, the, that's the beauty, like, you touched on it with ADCC. It's, like, if you're doing regular professional super fights. How is an unknown guy gonna get to test himself against a famous guy? Mm. Famous guy's gonna be like, "There's no way in the world I'm like, what do I a have huge to gain?" Risk. Yes, that's why ADCC is great because you bring in famous guys. They're forced to fight guys that really earned their spot in that tournament. Some more than others. Obviously, Asia is much easier to ticket to win than uh, Europe or uh, Brazil or America. But they obviously earned their spot in that tournament, and you get to see crazy underdog moments like that take place obviously Eddie Eddie did it with Hoyler Gracie That was probably the most famous mm. moment like that um, that's where ADCC is so special and I guess the fact that it brings in different styles a wrestler could win a mm. submission only guy could go in there and win a point spider can go in there and win how do you get a point spider to take a match against a submission only guy mm. ADCC is the only time they do it and the only time they do it where they don't complain about excuses afterwards mm. and that's again to bringing it back to Keenan that's why I got so much respect for Keenan Who's a guy that takes uh, takes uh, matches in any rule set? Yeah. And in any attire? You want him in the gi, he'll take it in the gi. You want him in no gi, he'll take it in ogi. No
1: yeah, it's crazy. Like, I felt bad for him this year with the whole world thing because, like, he's still not won a world black belt. But, yeah, you're right. He is that guy that will sort of take anything.
0: For sure, that world's thing's for him, really. You know what I mean? Because, like... Uh whether he's won it, whether he wins it or not, everyone knows he's on that level. Mm. It's just he wants that personal accomplishment, like I guess anyone does. But yeah, yeah, it's sad that he hasn't won it. He's got the double, double 80cc silver as well. Oh, really? But <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <Far laughs> in a bridesmaid dress right next to yeah. it. <laughs> but another guy that's got a double 80cc silver is Lucas Leprey. He's probably the best gee grappler up there in the world. Yeah. So it's like, sometimes you can be on the cusp obviously everyone thinks you are on that level but you just haven't quite got that achievement that you're chasing for yourself
1: yeah how do you think that gordon's gonna do when he starts doing stuff have you trained with him in the gi in new york
0: i trained with him gi six months ago and i think he's come a long a long way since then because i've i barely put the gi on at all but from from what i've heard about the people he spars with that yeah he's doing very very well mm. and he's such a competitive guy winners win
1: man winners exactly, fucking exactly.
0: win he's too competitive not to do well mm. do i think he's going to come out and win black belt world's first year probably not
1: but is he going to be much more competitive
0: than the average person thinks he will for sure
1: it's such a like weird wonderful interesting time in jiu-jitsu because it's like it's just starting to get this shine from like mainstream media you've got the whole no gi movement then you've got like big name no gi guys that want to go do the gi and then you've got guys that are now going into mma and they're bringing like this like, because what was... Jiu-Jitsu in MMA was like, holy fuck, he took his back and choked that dude out. And it's like, now that's like day one what you learn in when you go to like an absolute or or whatever. And it's like, now it's like this whole leg lock thing and there's all these, you know, crazy different guards and shit that people are playing. And it's like, we're going to see that in MMA. Like, we saw it with Dylan. I mean, not the guy he fought was great, obviously, but like, he fucking pulled a toehold off in his debut MMA fight and then you get like Gary Tonin's going for like these Imanari rolls and shit to end rounds as like a Hail Mary so it's like it's jiu-jitsu changed the game of martial arts with like the Gracie family and it's like is this now like the second coming of jiu-jitsu in a way because it's like you've got all these dudes like yourself that grew up in you know different countries and whatever and it's now like you're creating this new thing in jiu-jitsu it's like are we gonna see it impact mma in the same way that the original jiu-jitsu did i don't you know what i sound
0: negative but i don't think so i think the best example of a guy going from jiu-jitsu to mma in modern times is Damien Meyer. yeah and his style does look nothing like what he would represent in a pure jiu-jitsu format and it's because MMA is not made for grapplers. Yeah. It's made for the fans. And what the fans want, strikers. Yeah. So, I mean, even in your experience, have you, roll, have you ever rolled with a guy that goes full, keep it playful, Gracie style, just doesn't want to get submitted? Wait, what do you mean? Like, just... Just uh, wants to survive and not get tapped. Oh, like, like
1: just hold on and not get tapped. Just doesn't do anything, yeah. Oh, yeah. How dude, hard is that guy dude, to tap? I know, why? So,
0: so imagine, as a grappler, going into an MMA fight, you've got five minutes. He's doing that and you. You've got to take a guy down, You've got to progress on the ground and not get stood back up and submit a guy that only wants to hold on to you to get stood back up. Mm. You did have to be goddamn half a yeah. to be able to be effective and assist a rule set like that. It'd be unrealistic to expect you to be able to do that. So that's why I think it'd be very, very difficult. And now all the credit to these guys for, tra- for transitioning. Yeah. But ultimately, the ones that are successful, their styles aren't going to reflect what they would do in jiu-jitsu. Their jiu-jitsu styles.
1: I think like... You look at Gary Tonin, like, his last fight was pretty sick. And I respect him a lot because he's gone into bang. Like, there's guys where, obviously, they're not even fucking close to level of grappling. And, I mean, but there's, like, there's definitely an aspect of it to where, like, man, if Gordon Ryan gets you on the ground and can punch the fuck out of you, like, are you getting up from that? Oh, for sure, for sure, yeah. Like, you don't have to be heel-hooking dudes to be insanely effective in MMA because it's, like... Not that he's the level of grappler that Khabib is. It's a totally different style of where he come from. But, like, you've been underneath that dude when he's trying to make you shit bone fragments. Like, you're fucking pretty well stuck. And you add in some big elbows and punches and he's not a small dude anymore. It's like, I don't know, is is maybe that, like, a new level of control something that could, like, influence it. And maybe it's not just heel hooks and toe holds and all that shit.
0: But also, he will be coming up against... A level of wrestling unseen in the jiu-jitsu world. Mm, okay, you know what I mean we got we got Olympic gold medalists competing in MMA now, like Henry Cejudo. Like what he did to Mighty Mouse, that was pretty impressive. And yeah. it's not like Mighty Mouse can't wrestle. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I think I think Gordon Ryan, obviously, he's so competitive, he's gonna find a way to win. Yeah, winners winners are gonna find a way to win.
1: Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. It was, um, yeah, I think the way like what Gary's done has to give him a, a lot of confidence to a. Eh? because of the way that, like, Gary's really went in there and, like, wants to stand up with dudes. And even after, like, maybe it was his last fight, but, like, he took a couple pretty big shots, and I was like... Yeah, the first first punch of the fight. Yeah, he got fucking rocked, eh? But he, like, he didn't then just go straight into, like, defensive jiu-jitsu mode. He, he wanted to, like, stick in there. No, I mean, if you watch his grappling style, the
0: guy's a uh, savage, so it doesn't surprise me that he's going to be able to take a hit.
2: Yeah,
1: definitely. Um, so what... Like, what is, like, next for you? Or not next, but, like... You've you've obviously, like, reached a point where you didn't think you'd ever reach before, right? So, it's yeah, like... Yeah, for sure. But just uh, pursuing the ADCC gold medal,
0: that's all I'm focused on right now. In the foreseeable future, all these super fights are all good fun and to keep my name relevant mm-hmm. and stuff, but that's definitely the ultimate goal. Yeah. So, I've competed a lot this year. Next year, I'll compete less and really focus on developing the skills to get that gold medal.
1: Are you, like how much do you care about taking an l in these super fights uh do you yeah. think it hurts your stock depends
0: how you take the loss i think
1: but in the art like i mean you can take it however you want but you can't control other people's perceptions oh, i mean of that like loss.
0: i mean depends like who beats you mm. how did they beat you you know what i mean that all really plays a factor. how did you take that loss mm. like etc how how much shit did you talk before
1: Mm. because the fans will turn on you then (laughs) so i guess like maybe your style then lends itself towards a guy that can lose right because like you look at a dude because like i don't feel like anyone's rooting for you to lose i think people are like i said it before i guess like people are going in there and they're like fuck yeah let's watch craig jones do, do his thing but there's a lot of people that are watching like an aj or a dylan or even like gordon to like they want him to lose and traditionally playing the heel in martial arts like you've got the fucking hero and the heel and the heel is always going to get the fights and but people are going to kind of want to have that person lose and i think that this is like a situation connor's almost getting into now where it's like a loss like really really hurts his stock and it's probably because he is so out there about winning that when he loses it like makes it look way worse so, it's like, do you think that your style just kind of lends itself to, like, you almost... It does, but it's capped. It's capped in
0: interest. Do you know what I mean? Is a guy that doesn't talk shit ever going to get as many views as a guy like Conor
1: McGregor? But I think... Like, do you think just the way that... Like, let's say Conor talked no shit before Jose Aldo and still did the same thing. Do you still think... You don't think that that would be as, like, holy fuck, as if he talked all that shit and then did that or does Jose not even get into that predicament of being able to get sparked in 14 seconds 13 seconds or whatever it was without the shit talk it's tricky it's tricky to think about hey but
0: I I'm not sure I'm not sure if you can captivate the mainstream audience without being an aggressive personality mm. without either creating guys that really really want you to win or really really want you to lose mm.
1: are you interested at all in that combat jiu-jitsu because
0: were? Nah, nah not you at all you don't want way. to do it too pretty oh it's like uh i mean i don't want to talk shit about those guys i respect it for what it is but i mean i don't think mma fighters respect the combat grapplers and i don't think the jiu, jiu-, jiu- guys respect it's like caught in the middle and yeah a weird spot, it's right, right, right in the middle but it doesn't mean it can't be something in and of itself
1: yeah because i definitely think like i obviously love jujitsu. i watch all the polaris and kasai events and i'll watch whatever i can basically but I'm really not stressing if I miss an EBI combat jujitsu. Yeah, and it's and sad. It's, they're they're all, all every
0: male event is a combat jujitsu event now. Yeah, every female event remains without slaps. That's bizarre to me. And bitches are the ones that love slapping. Yeah, get and the slaps. That'll attract a mainstream audience. Women slapping each other, I think.
1: Fucking hope, <laughs> dude, and like allow the hair pulling. Let's get yeah. some, Let's get some of that shit going. But no, it is, that is like a weird one. Um, I want to like it i mean i'd love to like it because it would again give me more shit to watch gordon's gonna do it i think i think people are gonna watch them i was joking mm. around i was like i should enter it when gordon
0: does just to get one good slap on him and then quit just to have one good <laughs> shot and then and then tap,
1: pressure tap yeah then i'll be like nah you're done man you didn't get a slam me back he's a yeah he'll do he'll do pretty well in that shit what do you get into much of like outside of jiu or is it pretty all-encompassing of what you've got going on
0: Uh, I haven't had much time to do anything else this year. I was going to
1: say, like, have you just, there's probably just not time. I just try
0: and enjoy the cities I'm in, do Mm. tourist stuff, um, but for the most part, adjusting to jet lag, teaching seminars,
1: training, lifting weights. So it's, at this point, there's sort of not a lot of room mentally for you to kind of be into other shit. No, not really. Are you into
0: other stuff, though? Um, Other, nothing like, and I guess nothing like in the sense of jujitsu. Mm. i like to go watch movies and escape yeah escape okay. the stress of uh this life sometimes you know what i mean that's why i let distract myself from the jiu-jitsu world a lot
1: yeah yeah but there's not like you don't have these kind of other avenues that you sort of follow no not really but Just i guess that is probably what lends to the way that you are able to like the things that you're able to do you know are you thinking about like new techniques or like because it's safe to say now like Z-Guard is like a thing, right? And essentially it's half guard and knee shield and then you can lock that knee shield. But it is now a new thing because it's almost like there's a system around it, right? Uh, yeah,
0: yeah. Am um, I thinking of new things? No, Z-Guard just came about as a way, like another exploitation to win, you know what I mean? And neg- mm. a position that there are attacks from that's neglected. But uh, in terms of other areas, I think... Uh, like
1: how does that come about? like it's so it's not like this conscious decision where you're like flow charting moves did it just start to work for you and then you just start to path the least resistance like you're going towards this triangle from z guard seems to be fucking up everyone so it's like let's go from that and then you slowly hone that like sharpen that blade against more and more people yeah well
0: that's the only move i did a purple but i probably hit a hundred z guard triangles between blue to brown belt that's the only move I used in to do in competition. In competition, yeah, and then just that's the thing. I think it's like someone said it one time where I was like, "You gotta learn how to get good at one thing before you can get good at anything else." So, mm. I became very good at that position, and then tried to apply how I got good at that position to other areas. Mm. But in terms of trying to figure out what's coming next, I think just everyone's working on the highest level, just taking the back, different paths to the back, and wrestling. Mm. That's what's gonna win you ADCC because, like, uh, realistically, guys aren't gonna tab to heel hooks straight ankle locks knee bars arm bars they're going to let a lot of shit break mm. the only thing they can't let break is uh, you can't choke.
1: control the blood
0: going to your brain right exactly exactly and the safest position to try and choke someone from is definitely going to be either on top or on their back mm. so like trying to find chokes from bottom triangle much harder much harder in 80cc when you can slam as well mm. and against very athletic guys
1: it's going to be very difficult so when you choke Leandro from the back that was your game plan, was to get to his back? Uh, the game plan was to attack the legs. Okay. But then, yeah. But like, he,
0: like we talked about before, it just opens opportunities, right? Yeah, opens opportunities to sweep. And he defended the
1: sweep, uh, leading to the back. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's interesting that you said that about the... Because, I mean, I struggle with... Uh, like, I don't really want to be on top ever. Like, I just... It's not my world. I'm, I'm not that... Again, it's not like I've been doing it that long, but that, to me, is seems super foreign. And, like, I can watch stuff that you're doing, and I can go and apply if it's, like, offensive or a sweep from my back. But as soon as I get, like, when you... did that Kit Dale video that you two did, like, I fast-forward the Kit shit, not because it's Kit, but because I'm like, I can't fucking remember that shit. Like, I can't... I can't see it, you know, like, when, you know, for instance, like, you're in the flow tank or whatever. And it's like, I can literally watch myself do attacks off the bottom or sweeps off the bottom but then like i trained at absolute on tuesday night and like fully forgot the pass that locky taught completely gone and it's like I don't, I don't i wonder what that is to where it's like that bottom sweep attack thing is so easy for me to memorize but the top passing and top pressure and You know even in mount i'm like if i get to mount i'm like fuck i need to get off this bitch like i'm this isn't the place i want to play from you know so it's like i wonder what that is
0: it's just not what you're interested in right now you know what i mean Mm. you're focused on working from the bottom and that's fine i didn't i didn't think i knew a guard pass until purple belt i didn't even think i knew how to pass guard until i came to melbourne Mm. i would just play guard just do whatever i'm effective at i would do it so it's not like as long as you become well-rounded over time it's fine
1: Mm. And how did you then switch to like passing? What was it that helped you get your head around it? You just need that to win. Okay. You know what I mean? It's just... And so did you just get to a point where you were so um, like confident with what you were doing off your back and on the ground where you're like well i kind of don't feel like i need to spend as much time working on that right well passing's the best it's the
0: easiest thing to work on inspiring because you can pass a guy's guard and let him get his guard back in like a second
2: mm. and then you can
0: give it another crack yeah it's hard to sweep a guy let him get your let him sweep your back sweep a guy you know what i mean yeah so it's very easy to work on passing get good at passing mm. keep passing a guy as guard you're better than over and over again practice practice
1: yeah okay that so makes you find a way to enjoy it yeah yeah that makes sense yeah because for me like i mean i've started trying to drill it and like generally the days before comps and stuff like i'll sort of work on passing but even then i'm like like i did there was one comp i did and the, like i had like a a very definitive like strength advantage even though we're obviously in the same weight class and i got on top and i was i got triangled and i was just like why the fuck am i on top and then I ended up fighting that dude in the final and I just went straight to the bottom and then I I swept him and then I literally let the dude sweep me back so I was on the bottom again. And yeah, then
0: that's, that's a common thing. That's what I used to do. Like I would sweep and I'd be scared to be on top so I'd fall back or wouldn't complete the sweep.
1: Mm, really? Yeah, it's just yeah, it's a, but you see some guys like Andrew, um, a friend of mine who trains at St Kilda, he loves top game shit and loves that top pressure. So I guess, yeah, you're right, it's just like that kind of interest that you like whatever's kind of captivating you at the time and that's why you gotta be careful
0: to cut someone off or what they're interested in because if they don't like playing guard and you force them to do that before they're ready then mm.
1: suddenly they might not shop the training as much have you like when you um came to absolute and met locky was that like a super definitive part of your development to have a guy like him on his on his level and kind of like being around that environment Oh, for sure. Lucky. And the
0: fact that he had a lot of high-level competitors there. We had a community of guys all chasing the same thing. That was something that really, I don't think at the time, anywhere else in Australia had. Yeah.
1: And still maybe doesn't, would yeah. you say? I wouldn't say to the same. Not I to say, the same level. Yeah. Huh? And did you know that coming into it, that like you sought that gym out? Or were you like, yeah, yeah, we it went was a there. luck? I went there to train for a training camp for
0: Nogi Worlds, and before the camp, I'd only taken vacation from work, and before the camp left, uh, before the camp ended, he'd already offered me a position to stay there and teach. So I just didn't go back to work, just up and moved to Melbourne.
1: Yeah, what what work were you doing before you did this? Like, what did you think your life would look like before this shit? Um, what was it? Uh, I was working at a liquor store, like a bottle at the time.
0: Really? no shit I would and before that I was university studying psychology so I would do that makes sense I would study psych I would work at a butler and
1: I would train at the same time yeah that okay the psychology thing makes sense because I feel like I guess just to circle fully back to the start like there is this there is a unique thing that you do when it comes to competitions and I I feel like if you could say like if say tomorrow at Pampax If I could do it, I would go do what you do. I'd look like I don't give a fuck. I would... Like, straight up, like, the way that I would describe it is it's like you're cool that you're about to lose. And you just go, ah, there's no chance I can win. Hey, man, what's up? Let's do this. Fucking, let's get it over quick and I'll go and eat a hot dog. That's, like, the vibe that you put out. And, I mean, I don't know if it's... fit, It's accurate or whatever. Practice, (laughs) practice. But, yeah, it, it makes sense. Like, that, to me, is, like, the best case way to approach it. And I've even had... Like I mean, and i I'm not, like I said, it's just it's weird for me because I'm I, like I knew the spot I was gonna finish, but in Jiu Jitsu it's like you don't know where you're gonna finish. Like you can tap anyone, especially and in the thing with comps is like really with the belt system you should be at a similar level theoretically. Your weight's the same, your size should, uh, your strength should be within the same ballpark. And it's like if you're at a gym and you've got purple belts at your gym and you're a white belt, then you have harder rolls than this dude's gonna give you. That's the theory behind it so it's like it really shouldn't be that big of a deal but it it really is like a the ultimate fear of the unknown because you just really don't know what these guys are sort of going to bring to you so and i mean i've had comps where i'm like all right i didn't listen to music the last comp and i just didn't feel amped up so i'm going to listen to the most gangster shit i can and be hyped as fuck and then i'm like i'm like fucking bouncing my head around and i'm all hyped up take my headphones off it's quiet there's nothing there and i'm like fuck i just just spent half an hour with headphones on trying to make myself fired up but it's you take them you can't fight with that shit in your head well if you don't do that before you train why are you doing it before you compete Mm. so there you go that's that's like major shit
0: (laughs) I don't know that shit I wasn't I'm wasn't. (laughs) i not that guy if you get amped up you're gonna gas out very quickly Mm. another good thing is some people compete without warming up I feel like I do sprints before I compete about 20 25 minutes out 20, 25, 30 and then i want to feel the exhaustion at least one time before i compete Mm. and then i feel like i don't get the adrenaline dump when i go out there as much
1: yeah that's definitely one of the things that i've struggled with is like um just the warm-up thing and i hate like every time i've won a comp i've lost the first roll. yeah and had a chance to come back and and win and i fucking hate that you just don't you like this comp tomorrow like if you you lose you lose and i really hate that that's like a thing and i because i struggle to warm up at the start nerves wise and i'm like what the fuck do i even do like do i do a couple hip escapes like you know
0: you gotta get breathlessness
1: i think you think that that's the move then and so sprints are what kind of helps you do that what else do you do that you found that calmed nerves or got you in the right headspace like are you a guy that thinks about you know I'm going to do this particular guard pull, then I'm going to go straight to this, and if he does, like, are you... I have a loose game plan, but nothing too specific, no. Yeah, and I, mean, I guess that comes from being well-rounded too, right? Yeah,
0: yeah, I think so. Unless, obviously, my opponent's got a, a glaring weakness that you want to exploit. But apart from that, no, I don't like too specific a game plan because if it goes poorly, it goes very poorly. Mm. And then, and then if you've you're got game, no room yeah, to If it. you're like, I'm going to come out, I'm going to pull della La a guard, I'm going to do this sweep, and you come out and he pulls guard, then you're flustered. You're behind the eight ball
1: already. Mm. Yeah, no, that yeah, it makes sense. Did did Locky have much to do with like the any of the mental side or like did you see him as like a mentor when you sort of first got there and like really 'cause I, I honestly see like similarities in your mannerisms and stuff and obviously um it comes from just how much time you guys would have spent together over the years, right? But did you see him as like that mentor sort of figure or? Uh, Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. He was
0: doing what I wanted to to do with my life. You know what Mm. I mean? In terms of competition, I didn't think anything other than build me up confidence wise to make you
1: believe you're on that level. Yeah. Okay. So like having a guy that was as high level as him and then you're in the gym giving him a hard time and that's like a guilty by association feeling to where you kind of. Pictured yourself being on that level.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, you trust their opinion. If, so, if some random white belt's telling you you're amazing you're gonna beat this guy and stuff, you're like, Phew, you know what I mean. But mm. if uh, if someone that's beaten high level guys is explaining to you and trained with high level guys explaining to you you're on the level, then it means something entirely different.
1: Mm.
2: Yeah,
0: you
1: can actually. It's worth something because it's substantiated. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a crazy. It's definitely like a crazy game to play and I it's it's like that the accountability of like being on that mat and you know there is that thing of like everybody watching there's obviously like the the element of getting hurt and and everything that kind of comes along with it too so it's I think that's maybe one of the things that has been so interesting to me is the it's just shit you can't really prepare for and I mean have you ever thought about what it must feel like to be Conor McGregor like with how the nerves and the stuff that you deal with for a jiu-jitsu match that like realistically no one's fucking watching like can yeah, he, you can you imagine what he's going through yeah he's, he seems to thrive off it though he loves it right mm. do you think that that's a personality type or is that a uh psychological mastery i think it's uh
0: a bit of both but i think he's been planning these moments for his entire lives i mean i remember he was speaking with um before he was infamous he'd speak with a pen in his mouth so that when he would approach American audiences, he would speak in a language that they could understand. So, like, this has been his intentions for a very long time, I think. Mm. You know
1: what I mean? He's been building up to these moments. Where do you think that comes from in a person? Uh, I guess it could come from a lot of places, but, like, you obviously we see him in interviews. Like, where do you think it comes from in a guy like that? It's hard to say. Hey, it's hard to say what
0: motivates him he looks at his Instagram it's just be money right but that's not what it is because he's got money I hear stories about him the SBG guys were telling me that he shows up to the gym sometimes
1: midnight at 1am to train they say that about Floyd I reckon Floyd is like that because even Floyd like it can't be money I mean fuck I could see Floyd blowing a lot of money though to where like he probably looks at his account and goes like oh yeah okay I'll fight again but I guess it's like fuck it'd be so hard to say no like imagine if like even if you've got half a billion dollars in the account and someone's like dude just one more fight you get 300 million bucks it'd be pretty hard to say no to that right like that's some pretty fucking serious money I don't think you'll get another fight like Connor though hey you don't yeah there's real. like who else would he fight I think Connor's like the ultimate fire and ice thing for him that'll probably be one of the biggest purses in history hey yeah like I guess it's hard to see but it's like you probably if you think about it in terms of like what did it take to get a Floyd Mayweather? Like, it took 49 fights, undefeated, Money Mayweather, fucking, he was pop culture. People would sing and rap about him. Like, he really crossed the boundaries unlike any other boxer ever. Like, even more than, like, maybe Mike Tyson, but it was different. Like, there was something that was different about him. And then you can say the exact same thing about Connor. And it's like, to to have those two people in two separate Totally separate world In something
0: that's never happened before.
1: Yeah, and then they come together. Like, it'd be super hard to replicate that. Now, yeah,
0: now if an MMA fighter jumps to the boxing ring, we've seen it
1: before. It's always going to be
0: the sequel. The only crazy thing would be if Floyd jumped in the cage, but he never would. Can't do it. He'd just get fucking murdered. It'd be... Yeah, that'd be bad. I, but talking about how much money boxers make, it just sucks. I saw Canelo got the highest paid sporting contract in history the other day. Really? He signed a five-year deal with... Um, Dazzin that
1: TV network. It was worth like three hundred and fifty million dollars. <laughs> fuck, dude. It's we're living in a weird time with sport to where, um, like, do you follow the NFL at all? No, dude. I'm fucking all about that shit. <laughs> I, I didn't because I was in the states for like seven years, and for the first four, I was just like, fuck all of you. Like, you guys are pussies. This is some. This is some bullshit. And I every every fucking barbecue i went to like i was that guy that was telling everyone how shit it was and how how good rugby was and uh and then it was like four years of that nonsense and then i i started dating a girl that her dad was like hard fucking core like thursday night was football saturday was college football sunday was um the nfl then there was monday night football and then on thursday that cycle started again So I was just like, I ain't coming in here with this bullshit. So I had to sit down and pretend to like it for fucking however long it took. And I really started to like it because not even just for the game, man, but for like the accessories that are around the game in terms of like the athletes and like they've all got their own crazy brands and like basketball is the same over there too. I just think black people have like way more swag too, like just kind of across the board they can do more, uh but it was like it was crazy to watch you get sucked into a sport for like all the auxiliary shit that went around around it and there's a dude called uh odell beckham i don't know if you've ever seen him he's like the guy with like the white hair and uh he's just a freak does all like the crazy one-handed catches like his highlight reel is ridiculous you would be like oh that's a that's a computer game but he signed a, um i can't remember the deal it was like 96 million bucks for like three years, that's and he's crazy, and he's eh? like twenty three, but it's like his stat. So that made him the highest paid wide receiver of all time. But his stats don't reflect that. But what reflects that is like if you you listen to Drake, obviously, like that's the dude that Drake raps about all the time. Like he's become like this pop culture dude.
0: Yeah, so they'll pay it so they get the fans in the seats. Hey,
1: yeah, and it's like that's a that's a different time. Like before, we were just paid off stats. And I think that now you're seeing that in every sport and like that whole social media thing we were talking about where it's like, you know, you really can see like money come off, money come out of social media. It's like sport now seems like it's way more than just the contest itself. Oh, for sure,
0: I mean, in Jiu Jitsu, there's a lot of uh, Black Belt World Champions that I see post on Instagram looking for seminars, asking for seminars. Mm. I mean if it was based off stats alone I shouldn't be getting any seminars you know what I mean so it's like if they're a black belt champion struggling to make
1: money in this sport then they're not utilizing all the tools available correctly yeah and there's this new thing right like people always ask me about like um, what's the next big thing what's like what's gonna be is it video games is it um, esports is it like is MMA just gonna keep being like the biggest fucking sport or whatever and I honestly think that we're in this like really weird place where we like fucking watch people like that's what we do now we just watch people like that um catch me outside chick Oh uh, yeah we just fucking watch her I, I I ran into her in a mall in America are you serious yeah
0: me and my friend ran into her in LA somewhere but she's always at the Grove was it at the Grove I can't remember but I remember we were in a store and there was she was there with a bodyguard and Big she shit yeah like she went in and paid for a couple little girls like complete outfits and shit we didn't know who it was we tried to go get a photo with her but she wouldn't take a photo with us <laughs>
1: <laughs> really yeah that's what i mean like that chick like she's worth millions now right and we just watch her like it's and now like do you follow much like rap like what music are you into yeah rap hip hop so like you look at a dude like Six 69 right like his music is actually pretty sick i'm ashamed to admit that like i listen to it's funny what starts out as painful to listen to that you can grow to enjoy it's crazy but what i wonder is like is that um just because we enjoy like the whole theatrics of like what he's got going on like he's got these crazy fucking grills he gets these face tattoos that we're all like holy shit like this kid's fucking crazy then he's talking mad shit on like everybody and it's like you want to not watch because intellectually you're like this is straight retarded like what the fuck are we looking at but you it's like that car crash like you want to look away but you can't you're like what the fuck is going on and it's like the music is secondary to that and it's like i feel like that's what's almost happening in sport to like a small extent like you've obviously still got to be good enough to pay the bills and like if aj agazan for example was like completely dog shit. Then it's like, and he's talking all that shit. Like people aren't gonna pay attention. But the fact that he is good and then does all that, it's like, that's the, it's like the brand that we're following now. It's like we're subscribed to a, a channel and it's this AJ Agazan channel. And because you watch him all the time, yeah, it's he's like your produced. first story. Yeah, it's like this self, it's, yeah, it's, it's a weird world, right? And I think that is like the next best thing. And you look at like Logan Paul, like, people just watch him, and now he just sold five million pay per views on a YouTube fight. On a YouTube fight. Yeah, I mean,
0: I, I that's sad because it's like, uh, I don't hate it because it's like, obviously let let him make money, but hopefully it doesn't overtake real sports. Mm. But I guess you yeah, you never want to. But pay, like, what is real sport? You wouldn't want to pay Logan Paul to what, play NFL, would you? No. But you'd want to watch him fight. So if, I guess that's the yeah that's the only thing there but i hopefully yeah i mean celebrity boxing match has been around forever but none like this mm. none and like they something. like
1: actually trained and shit and you know what he looked pretty good really for
0: he wants an mma match as well right
1: i'll probably give it to him see it works see, we talk about it eh? yeah but that's a, that's like that is the next thing and even like um who was the dude that did that um that stand-up thing Maybe it was Chris Rock, and he's like, Love rap music, tired of defending it. (laughs) Because it's like, it's fucking. And like, have you ever been in a club and you see like that, Move, bitch, get out the way? Or it's like, My neck, my back. Like, it's just the most disgusting shit that, like, if you walked up to a chick in a mall and were like, Hey, I want to lick your back, your neck, your pussy, and your crack. What the fuck kind of reaction would well, that get? Yeah, yeah, well I
0: always wanna I always imagine the the crazy feminists out there, I always imagine they still dance I, and listen around music. Dude
1: <laughs> Dude, 100 percent I I fucking see these chicks. I, I want
0: to catch a video of them dancing to it or something.
1: I had a chick Thursday night and I've been I've been wanting to talk about this and I fucking haven't talked about it. This chick, we were at a at a club and one of our friends was talking to a chick, right? and then she said something about a protein shake right and then our friend who's drunk and trying to fucking hit on her is going like oh i could give you a protein shake and then this fucking full-blown like quintessential cliche feminist chick turns around she was at the booth behind us and she's like uh i think that the chick had a pretty good comeback and like shut my mate down and we are all like "Oh, we got him and uh and then this feminist chick turns around and she was like you fucking tell him like just spray dude like full blown spray and I was looking at this chick and I was like fuck she's that's the stereotype like that's this world like feminism exists because of you like you're the fucking thing and then it was like 10 minutes later she's white girl wasted and she's dancing to that fucking pony song ah uh, yeah and I'm like all right here's the thing the dude that wrote that fucking song you can't have it both ways (laughs) dude it's so but that's like that seems like everything these days it's like the bad thing about social media is it almost like rewards people's negativity right and it's like or have you ever been with a chick where you're not giving her enough attention so she'll start a fight just to get attention she'd rather have a date kind of attention to where it's like just you and her have negative attention than no attention yeah exactly and that's I mean that's probably a big part of psychology I guess but like I see that shit all the time and I think that that's what this whole thing that we're doing with this feminism and like hardcore vegan activists and hardcore insert hardcore fucking anything it's like I'm not getting attention from not getting good attention and I'm not getting attention at all so like let's just get some bad attention and fuck it it's attention for sure it's crazy that that's a thing but it's like social media is like allowed that to be a thing now
0: yeah it's it's yeah it's but i mean it's put you in control of it you don't need anyone else to censor anything that goes up
1: mm. do you you don't seem like the kind of guy that really censors a lot of the stuff that like you've got going on but i guess you just aren't really posting that much shit in general yeah
0: yeah, i wouldn't put anything too political online Mm. you know what i mean it just alienates you know what i mean yeah
1: and i mean you can't judge a person solely on their views too so it's like you could i guess alienate people that otherwise would never have a problem with you yeah exactly yeah exactly yeah so i mean it's probably a good way to be it's fucking fun though to be a troll yeah. Have you ever done any troll moments? Um, sometimes, sometimes. Because I can't say that with Pal Harris you were trolling. That was just pretty funny. And a lot of, you were like reposting shit that people were saying, really.
0: Yeah, yeah. Re-share, ho- hopefully share their memes so they create more memes. Yeah, yeah. If anyone shares a good meme about me, I'm going to post it for sure. Even if it's uh, negative towards me.
1: Is it, do you think that you're just so laid back that like, maybe something that would like get under somebody's skin which then like gives them that reaction that then creates like the follow-on do you just think that you're i too back to it give appreciate fuck?
0: yeah i just appreciate it because growing up we would say the most brutal shit to each other you mm. know what i mean that's why i don't understand people that are so sensitive you know what i mean did, mm. did you grow up in a pure childhood like did your friends never pick on you and stuff like I think you should say the worst things to your friends. Things that uh insulates them from getting offended by other people.
1: Well, that's like people that like won't let their kids watch a scary movie or something until they're like fifteen, and then you're the kid at the fucking sleepover that doesn't want to go to sleep because you're scared of the dark after your mates all made watch, you watch yeah. a horror movie. It's like that, yeah, like that insulation thing, eh? You don't want to be too protected. Yeah, and I, but it is that, that there is just like that reward system for getting pissed off and because there's always someone like when you're pissed off all you want is someone else to be pissed off with you
0: yeah if someone insults you and you get angry you've validated their insult mm. you know what i
1: mean yeah like that's the reaction that you were looking for yeah dude i remember even like uh like people come to my house and it's like have you got to get out of here soon or i think i gotta, I
0: gotta lift weights is it not that
1: getting fucking
0: swole <laughs> yeah <laughs> i better train it i gotta rehab injuries but i won't say what injuries oh yeah yeah
1: yeah when so when's your next thing we will wrap it up it's the keenan
0: uh, thing in december in
1: december yeah december 9th in wales let's talk some shit come on let's go let's talk some shit about keenan fuck this guy oh wait <laughs> another you know what i'm gonna uh, cancel my fucking keenan subscription there you go i'm um, disappointed you th- had one <laughs> 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 Nah, come on talk some shit it's hard it's Kenan's hard to talk shit about cool Keenan.
0: Keenan's, yeah, he's a funny guy. He's a fun
1: guy. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> you just like, make a trailer out of this shit. He's a <laughs> fucking super nice dude. What way do you, like, I guess what way do you see that fight going? Uh, different to the first one. I'll, I'll come in with a, I guess,
0: I'll mix up the game plan a bit for this one. Mm. But we got we got a solid 15 minutes to work. But 15 minutes ref's decision. So it's, yeah, it's an interesting rule set. Obviously, it's not like Gordon and Keenan. They had like a 90-minute match. That was gnarly, dude. I'm about 15 minutes is about the limit now. I don't want to do any more matches over 15 minutes. Why is that? Because if someone hasn't displayed better style, technique mate, by 10 by minutes, point. then it's just the the guy with better cardio. Yeah. And usually when a guy gasses guess, out and gets submitted, I mean, we're not that impressed by that anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe a clutch moment where they're both still fighting, but
1: when a guy's just like, oh, I'm dead yeah well alright we'll wrap it up we've done two hours and ten minutes Craig Jones I am uh, yeah I'm glad you made this happen this like I said this was like a super selfish podcast so <laughs> very sorry for all those people out there that don't play fucking Z-Guard or <laughs> give a shit about any of what we talked about there will be more Gypsy Tales uh, and actually tell people about your seminar my seminar ah uh, sorry not seminar you camp I, I got a camp yeah
0: two weeks in Thailand uh, there's still places available November 4th all on the absolute MMA Thailand website other than that, DVDs are available. Uh, and you can find me on Instagram. Most of my social media is on Instagram. Basically nothing else.
1: And I will tell from personal experience, obviously I obviously haven't been to Craig's camp. I went to Lockie's camp. That was a couple months ago. Any level of athlete can get a lot out of uh, a camp that's a week long with world-class instruction at a great facility. I think that there's something to be said for staying in a resort training twice a day and not actually having anything else in your head than jiu
0: and it'll be a wild time last time a guy got arrested and two guys got my name tattooed on them so <laughs>
1: is it gonna be that wild this time probably right i don't know i should be training for the keenan match but we'll find out why did why do you just attract that fucking loose crowd there was none of that shit at Lockie's camp <laughs> what, what is it with you what is it, what is it with that I don't know. <laughs> you just attract some fucking degenerates. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, well, fuck Craig Jones, everybody. And uh, thank you very much for coming on the podcast, brother. I really thank appreciate you. it. Thanks for having me, man. Sweet. Awesome. Cheers, dude. Sorry, brother.